Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. All right. Well, moving on to this draft class, uh, Simon, you know, this this quarterback class, and that's what we're going to be dealing with here today, has, in my opinion, has gotten a bad rap because if you compare it to, let's say, okay, it's not as good, you know, as as it was last year in the top end, but there's some really good college performers here. Is this a bad quarterback class? What's your estimation of the overall strength of it? Yeah, I don't think it's very good generally. Um, mm. it's not, um, well, let's start here. How many pros? And when I say pros, I'm not talking about backups. How many NFL starters are in this class? Um, how many NFL stars are in this class? It's a good question. I mean, look, I think there was a Detroit Lions reporter uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that tweeted the following. And he said that Carlson Strong says this quarterback class is, is getting a lot of crap they don't deserve. Says Malik Willis is crazy good. Also says his knee won't fall off his body, which seems <laughs> helpful. Which is kind of sums up the collective feeling in 33 <laughs> words or so about the this position. I mean, look, it's not that there aren't any options, but I think more that on paper and on film, the class is at best jumbled. Um, and at worst, it's pretty underwhelming, actually. Um and I, look, that evolution of NFL offenses, I think, to follow the pattern of college football has obviously gathered, gathered pace. You know, we've got younger, more progressive minds. We've got one in Miami who's taken over as head coaches and OCs. And, and I think that's meant that the path to starting and succeeding has been eased somewhat. You know, you don't see quarterbacks taking three years as they used to 10, 15 years ago. Um but and I suppose you can make a fairly compelling argument that the majority of the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL have been selected pretty much the last four drafts, I'd say. So Mahomes and Watson, mm-hmm. that was seventeen, right? Mm-hmm. Allen and Josh Allen, and Lamar in twenty eighteen, Kyler Murray in twenty nineteen, and then Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow twenty twenty. So you know the the evolution is there, and you are seeing in this class, I think evolution quarterbacks in terms of guys who are suited to that evolution generally. Um, but I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sold. It's i I'm not sold. It's an amazing class. And I, and I think, you know, you kind of look half with half an eye. It's difficult to punt on a season and GMs would never do that, but it's difficult to not look, you know, to this time next year when you might have a Bryce Young and a Will Levis and a CJ Stroud and a Tyler Van Dyke. So I wouldn't want to be, you know, I wouldn't want to be Brad Holmes at two and Scott Fitterer and Terry Fontenot and who else needs to call it? Like John Schneider and Martin Mayhew of Washington and Mickey Loomis and who else is the Kevin Colbert? I wouldn't want to be those GMs on those teams with a with a quarterback need this year um, because I just don't think the talent is is there. And I suppose to answer your question in a monstrously long winded way, history tells us that probably two of them 
are going to be, mm. you know, you go back and look at, I mean, go back in the past and look at bad drafts. You know, you go back to 2007 when we had, what, Jamarcus Russell and Brady Quinn and Kevin Cole and John Beck and Drew Stanton and Trent Edwards and Troy Smith and Tyler Thigpen and Matt Moore. You know, you go 97, you look at Jake Plummer and John Kittner and Jim Druckermiller and Danny Werfel and Coy Detmer. I mean, I would say you're probably, history tells us that you're going to get two good starters. You might get, you might get one who becomes something special. Um, you'll probably end up with a couple of guys who are backups and you might end up with a couple of guys out of the league. That's just the way it goes. So um, it's an interesting group of six, that top six. Um, but I'm not sold as a superstar in there. There's a couple of guys I like, but I'm not sold as a superstar in there. Chris, your thoughts on this class? Look, I think it gets a bad rap, but um, I think because – you know, this happens all the time with draft classes and people tend to want to only pay attention to the very top prospects at the position. And when you're not seeing the quality of the top guys at the position, then it's a bad class. And it's like, so, so it's like people want to see when, when you see guys that are like top 10, top 15 quality in a, um, in a position and they're they're really good for that. Um, then people, are, I mean, this this is what we do. We 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 pay attention to the, to the top, and then you, we kind of you know whatever on the the middle. Uh, and I think it's a class that has a middle. I don't think it's a class that has a great top. It's if this were a big game of uh, Mary F Kill, then there's um there's a there's a lot of there's a lot. Of, a lot there's a fair number of f's and uh not too many marys you know um and and so i think that uh i think that that's what this class is like now i think it gets a bad rep because as i look through it and and let's just think about because to me it's it's more of a it's more of a five you know five guys and uh those are those are malik willis and carson strong kenny pickett desmond ritter uh and uh, um, Bailey Matt, Zappi, uh, Matt Coral, I would say. Well, yeah, I, I have issues with Matt Coral. I think that um, I think that there's, I think his playing style is slight stat. His playing style really doesn't match with his, uh, his slight stature, mm. and um, and we're seeing we're seeing the results of that already at the college level, and um, and I think that uh, that's going to continue as a pro. It make me it make me really nervous, and I'm I'm sh- I'm not sure what he's going to look like if he ch- tries to change that playing style. Um, so I, you know, I think that Malik Willis is, a. Uh, I've always looked at him as QB one, you know, going back a long time. Uh, he's dynamic. I mean, he's, he's crazy. I think he can be crazy good. I think that, um, he, he is, you know, one of those guys that you look at the, that should be at the top end of the draft. Um, you're going to put your, you're going to put your name next to him. And it's not just because of what he can do on the field and, and the, um, dynamic abilities, but, but also who he is off the field. Um, and this is something that I had consistently heard a long time ago about, you know, what kind of, what kind of guy he was, you know, what kind of person he was. And, um, and, and so I think that that's, you're going to put your name next to him. And I think you're going to feel pretty good about that. But then it's like the other guys, like, you know, you're really going to put your name next to Kenny Pickett, uh, Desmond Ritter or Carson strong, you know, with Carson's knee being the way it is. And, 
Um, Desmond Ritter, you know, obviously very inconsistent throwing on the field as he is. Um, the sort of there's the Kenny Kenny Pickett has the reputation for, you know, is he is he really ultimately all that talented? Why did it take him so long to to really arrive? Uh, it seems like he's been playing at Pittsburgh since uh, since you know since uh, since Dan Marino was at Pitt in Pittsburgh. Tony Dorsett I mean, he, was his running back as a freshman. Yeah, I mean, like it, it really seems <laughs> that way. Um, and and you know Bailey Zappi is kind of kind of similar in that in as much as you know oh how ultimately talented is it is it just a system thing um, or should we really be scout scouting uh, his his offensive coordinator um, which I you know, going back to when Bailey Zappi was at uh, uh, Houston Baptist, I think it was, um, you know, that his, his, his offensive coordinator was like, am I scouting the quarterback or am I scouting his offensive coordinator right now? <laughs> um, and, and that's the feeling that you got. But the thing that I would point out is we're talking about the evolved NFL, like Simon says, and, and then, you know, how, how the game is, and I just have to say, you know, even going to like somebody like Kenny Pickett, dude runs, dude run like ran like a handheld four six five something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and you watch him, and he he runs, and he puts, you know, he puts linebackers. I mean, they they are they have to run all out, you know, in order to chase him down. When you see when you see him run, um, Desmond Ritter runs like a four five zero. You know, Malik Willis obviously very fast um Carson Strong okay <laughs> you know <laughs> forget that um but uh but even like you Bailey fast Zappi in a car went, like you know yeah, if, even, if you got in a car and you know and rubbed but up even the Bailey, Bailey Zappi you know when you test him out when, when you test him out and see what what is athleticism and the the dude the dude has some athleticism and it's um so I think you look at that and you're like so these guys are fitting the new game. They are, uh, they do have athleticism to them. And in the end, at the end of the day, it, it's not going to surprise me if any one of those five, or even if all five of them end up playing for a long time, you know, in the NFL, uh, even starting games. And, and, and so, you know, one of them is going to be like a Ryan Fitzpatrick or something like that. And, um, and I think that, uh, I think that that's why it gets kind of a bad rep. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if if a fair number of these guys end up playing for a while. Yeah. Now, uh, before I go back to Simon, very, very quickly on Malik Willis, I know you're, you're a fan. Uh, Lance Zerline, who I really, really respect. And he does his player comparison uh, list every single year. I'd never seen this before, but he, he says that Malik Willis, check this one out, is a mix between Jake Cutler and Jalen Hurts. Do you see it? Or what is he talking about? And there's dead silence. Well, you know what happened is uh, is Simon is um, is taking a break and uh, and he's having a, he's having some tea on his lanai. <laughs> I thought that was question was to you, Chris. <laughs> no, that was Al to you. Said, no, Al said before I go back to Simon. Yes, I did. I did say that. And then there was <laughs> dead your silence. Little your little eyes burnt down, buddy. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, boy, I must have I must have caught a bad case of Lanai. All right. So yeah. it's a little bit more natural. I'll ask the same question. All right. Well, you got to look that in. It's so much better. 
<laughs> yeah, but cut, 20 seconds of dead air. <laughs> do not cut out was literally the best bit of the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should, should, let's try that again. No, I'm come back. Let's go. I'll come back, back off the little eye. <laughs> yeah, Lance Zerlein, who I happen to respect. Uh, I'll do, do it again. Cut this out. Do not, do not cut, cut it out. Do not cut it out. <laughs> okay. He says Jay Cutler, Jalen Hurts. That's who Malik Willis is. Do you see it? Do you get it? Well, I, I mean, if you get It's odd. Give, By the way, it is odd that, you know, a thousand years later, Jay Cutler is considered an insult, <laughs> right? Right. Like, but I, I mean, but I don't know if that's so. Is this an insult? If you say, if you gave Jalen Hurts uh, Jay Cutler's throwing ability in his arm, like, is that, is that really an in- insult? Because that's kind of what he's mm-hmm. saying here. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, that's not, that's not really insulting because, you know, that if, if Jalen Hurts had Jay Cutler's pure throwing ability, then he'd be a very different player, I think. Um, and I think that if, you know, obviously if Jay Cutler had the sort of athleticism make you miss ability, uh, I mean, Malik Willis would be a, a strong running back prospect in this class if he if if for some reason you're just like okay we're giving up on him and quarterback and we're just going to make him you know because he's got the build and, and you watch him run he's he's got all that make you miss ability he's got physicality to him uh and strength pure strength uh, really good um he would be a really strong running back prospect but then you watch him throw the ball and he has the strongest arm probably in the draft uh, it, it's between he and carson strong obviously but um but you know he he has there are throws in there that are just like you know face peeling uh from from him and just in terms of velocity and what he could do with the ball and that's why you compare him to a jay cutler because when jay cutler was coming out you know that's he he had some of that too um so i I think that uh yeah it it definitely i i mean i'm not when i was watching him and this is why i kept calling him qb1 i'm not i'm not saying that he's going to be ultimately the this great player because we don't know but i hadn't seen that feat athleticism and pure arm strength you know velocity combo since mike vick um i i just have not and i think that uh i think that so yeah the, i mean so-called ceiling um which i think is uh you know a fallacy um for the quarterback position the way we generally use it but but certainly his physical skill set is just uh amazing amazing and and nothing short of that all right simon if you're a quarterback needy team okay and i'm looking at this draft order and you can make a case yeah the lions even at number two uh i think it would behoove them if they like a quarterback in this to try to package that pick for a pile of picks and get their quarterback but if you go through this draft order i count five teams that can be in on a quarterback who are the first round quarterbacks in this class and who are you willing to draft in this first round? Um, who are the team? So who are the teams that need quarterbacks? Well, that would uh, be Detroit Houston. Detroit. Uh, I don't think Houston do. Davis Mills is a good player. I don't think it's a shock that Davis Mills played really well last year. And I think he's only going to get better. Um, uh, Giants yeah, Carolina. I think the Giants are going to give. I mean, the Giants are doing what Miami and Philadelphia are doing and protecting themselves for next year. I think. I think. Um, 
I think Daniel Jones gets one more year. I think Carolina, obviously, Atlanta, obviously, mm-hmm. Seattle, Washington, um, New Orleans, uh, Pittsburgh. I think that's probably the six or seven, isn't it? I would suspect. Yeah, I would. I would say that's yeah, that's the list because yeah, the bottom of the list are I'm all the, the top playoff teams. Yeah, if I'm Detroit, I'm taking probably Trayvon Walker at two, and I'm taking the best remaining quarterback at thirty-four because there's not going to be six. I mean, Chris mentioned those guys. Sam Howell to me is a is a really good player in this class. I think he's significantly better than. I mean, you don't have to look at what he did. Detroit last also year. has thirty-two, by the way, from the Rams. Uh, sorry, yes, that's what I meant. Uh, yeah, thirty-two and thirty. Yeah, absolutely. They're both. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. I mean, look. I think in a in a normal draft, in a good quarterback draft, realistically, if you're going to stack these quarterbacks in this year's draft up against the last three years, you know, even the top guy, Chris has got Malik Willis as the top guy. I've got Carson Strong as the top guy. I mean, I wouldn't be putting them anywhere close to the top. Um, so there are, the, you know, quarterbacks are going to get overdrafted. Um, you know, talk about Kenny Pickett going six to Carolina—that to me is just crazy. Um, but you know, they need a quarterback. So, uh, and if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a great deal. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, the Kenny Pickett stuff just kind of slightly blows my mind. Um, and Chris made the complete point. I went to see him. I saw him play live against Michigan State in 2018, and he looked about as much as a, of a first-round quarterback as as you or I did. Um, I remember seeing him the first time in uh, 1989. Yeah, exactly. But you know, he's, gonna be, <laughs> he's a 24-year-old rookie. You know, there are some. You know, people talk about him being the most accurate quarterback in the draft. I mean, I there are. I saw a lot of inaccurate throws. Um, and people, you know, everybody joked about, oh, the small hands thing, it's such a media creation, it's such a media creation. He played 52 games at Pitt, yeah? Do you know how many fumbles he had in 52 games? Have oh, a guess. Go ahead. Chris? Um, oh, man, should we go full Should we go full, full Tony Banks here and say, uh, and say 50 fumbles in 52 games? Okay, Alf? I'll go 51. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the prices right on... On Chris here. 38. Wow. Jesus. 38 Jesus. fumbles in 52 <laughs> games. How many of those do you I, think he lost? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't be that many of them. You know, maybe, maybe like uh, 20, 20, 25 of them. 25, Alf? Uh, let's go. Let's go a low number. 11. 26. Wow. Yeah. He lost 26 fumbles in 52 games. Jeez. But but people want to make light of the fact that his hands are, uh, uh, you know, it's not a thing. It's that is that is full Tony Banks. That's like that that's full Tony that's Banks. Tony Banks. <laughs> that's full Tony Banks. And Matt uh, Ryan's senior year at Boston College, one of the reasons that turned me off on on him. Was that fumbles? I thought that was just interceptions. That was everything. It was he was a turnover machine. He averaged almost two turnovers a, a game. He, didn't he? Didn't he have like seven hundred attempts or I don't know what the fuck? But in like, in, uh, sorry, he had a good year. Like he had a good year, but he had a lot of turnovers his final year. So EJ uh, Brown is an interesting quarterback in this class. EJ Perry, I mean, from Brown, mm-hmm. he's an interesting quarterback. He was a four-star kid at Boston College, mm-hmm. and then transferred to Brown because that's where his his uncle and his his father had played. Um, he is. A, I mean, Chris talked about athleticism. He ran a four six 
4-6-0 at the combine. He was MVP of the Shrine game, MVP of the Shrine week. I mean, no Brown quarterback has ever thrown a pass in the NFL, and that is going to change with this kid. He is, a, he is an interesting quarterback. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, to me, it's not a... It, yeah, it's not a great class. That I think if you combine some of the like you look at, you look at Carson Strong for example. You know this is a kind of mature, efficient pocket pass. He's got a strong arm, very strong arm. You know I was at the Senior Bowl and it comes off his hand differently. Uh, he's got good feet. I, I like his processing pre um, pre snap. Um, he's accurate. He makes plays late in the down. But, I like his know, confidence with his, yeah. with his arm. Like he's he, he, he thinks injury. he can do anything with that ball. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a significant injury red flag. He's he's yeah. got a, he had a joint condition in 2017, a significant injury at a basketball camp, and they discovered a joint condition in which the bone underneath the cartilage of the joint essentially dies because there's no blood flow, and his lateral femoral condyle bone showed 70 percent detachment. Um, and he'd had this since he was 12, unknowingly. And if the bone had broken, it would have ended his athletic career completely. He probably would have, would have had to have his leg amputated. Um, so he's got eight biodegradable nails in to mend the crack. But he's also had two further surgeries on the knee because of, of pain in it. So it's, um, you know, we're not going to, we're not, I mean, it feels like he got a clean bill of health from the combine because it wasn't like he had to go back for a recheck because obviously we heard about Damone Clark, the, the LSU linebacker, having the, the mm. spinal fusion surgery. Um, but we haven't heard anything about Strong. So maybe he did get a clean bill of health. But we'll find out on draft day because if, you know, if we get to the, the middle portion of the second round and he hasn't come off the board, then we know there's an issue. Mm. Or maybe maybe it's just, it's, his medical issues are just so well documented. And known, yeah, maybe. But... Yeah. All right, on the way out here, this is a Dolphin podcast, so I'll start with, with you, Chris. Is there a developmental quarterback in this group? Do you see the yeah. Dolphins using any of their picks on any of these guys? I, I, I could, absolutely. And that's and part of that is just because of what we what we have left after. And we've we've clearly we tabbed that number 29 pick for an unhappy veteran. Um, you know, that that's something that I've talked about uh with some people. Uh and I think that um you know, they threw that out there. They don't have the second round pick. They don't have, you know, anything in the third. I mean, they, they don't pick until 102. Uh, these these picks that they have remaining are kind of almost throwaway, you know. And so if you can come out of there, at, at that point, you're just like, you're, you're going after guys. And it's just like, I'm not necessarily going to get anything out of these guys unless they trade 102 and 125 to move up and just target like one, one guy, one running back. I'll talk about those later, but yeah, I could see one of those picks ending up on a developmental quarterback. Um, and the ones that I would, I would think that, that you pay attention to. Um, I think you do pay attention to Bailey Zappi because uh, if they're designing an offense around Tua Tunga Valoa, then, um, then I think Bailey Zappi could run it uh if if you're you know just strictly looking for a backup and so i think that uh that's that's one guy to pay attention to if he gets into that fourth round area third fourth round area where they start to have picks again um so yeah there's there's definitely there's definitely some guys and i think ej you you mentioned it uh, the guy from brown ej perry uh, he's another developmental guy and uh, good athleticism i think that um you know just judging from who they put on the staff and Mike McDaniel's uh, Yale background, 
Um, I think that they would probably appreciate a quarterback who's got a very, you know, a, a strong academic background. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two, those are two guys really wouldn't surprise me if they were Dolphins, uh, after the, after that weekend. All right, Simon, you got a guy? Yeah, Perry. Uh, EJ Perry would be the mm. guy that I think they would. Um, he's like a coach on the field as well. Um, mm. I think McDaniel would respect that. Uh, he likes that. He plays from the shotgun. He plays in a spread offense. He can make plays outside structure. He can throw on the run. He's able to move from read to read. He can reset his eyes to to reads two and three. And he's got a good arm. Um, mm. You know, obviously people people always talk about the strength of opposition, but. You know, when you're at that level, all you can do is beat what's in front of you, and that's what he did. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think he's very interesting. He's uh, I get you kind of get I got some sort of Taylor Heineke kind of vibes hmm. from him. Um, I think he's got a bit of upside, and I think he's interesting. Six one two twelve. Um, yeah, he's a um, bright kid, coach on the field. He's the sort of guy I think McDaniel might dig. Yeah, and and there was a time where and. This is a great name because I asked you about him once and you were like, and you had a really good answer. I guess you could give me one here on the way out. I'll ask you, Simon. There was a time where Brock Purdy was a, was a name. And, yeah. and that time is not, you know, you know, 2006 or, you know, 1989 when, when Kenny Pickett was lighting up Pittsburgh and lighting up the Big East. Uh, no, this was September. Since then, it's been a long, it's been a long fall for Brock Purdy. On the way yeah. out, his prospects as an NFL passer. I actually think he had a really good year comparatively last year. It was a bit of a down year before. I think if you want your quarterback experience to be fun in college, then Iowa State fans can't have asked for much more from Brock Purdy over the four years. I think he probably leaves that left Ames, leaves Ames mm. as arguably the greatest player in school history. Um, you know, he's an incredible gamer. He's got a ton of moxie. I thought at times he looked like a day two player earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, he got, I, I kind of comp wise, he's kind of got that chaotic Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew style. He's a bit Case Keenum like, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go back and watch that Oklahoma comeback in 2019 where he pretty much single handedly carried the Cyclones back from the dead. And then he, he flipped that to his very final play ever in college in the bowl game, went on fourth and two, he ran for the first down, fumbled it back behind the marker, fell on it short, short <laughs> the line, and they turned it over on downs. That is essentially Brock Purdy's career in a in a nutshell. Um, I mean, there's a throw he makes in 2019 against Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe, which is one of the best throws I've ever seen a college quarterback make. Um, so he does have some talent, um, but he doesn't... He, the clock in his head operates on a different time to everybody else. So he kind of drifts off the midline and gets himself into sacks. But I, I thought he was easy to love as a, as a competitor, as a college quarterback. And I think he probably finds a home somewhere on, on late on day three. I think uh, taking aside his, his, the fact that his college career seemed to be like a Benjamin Button career, um, <laughs> you know, and, but even taking that aside, I, when I watch him, I don't know how much um, how much USF uh, you were, you guys have been watching over the the last decade or so, but he just reminds me so much of Matt Grothy, who was the quarterback back when uh, USF managed to get all the way to number two in the nation, and they, you know they had a big they had a big win against uh, Western West Virginia um, back when West Virginia was ranked really highly, and and um, they were uh, you know they 
this was a primetime game and such. And uh, yeah, I, he reminds me of Matt Grothy. It's, it's ultimately not going to work in the NFL, um, right. but it's, it was really fun college quarterback experience. And, um, and you know, that's, that's Brock Purdy in a nutshell. And uh, he, isn't he a Dolphins fan or something? Uh, yeah, he's I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. So, he is. Uh, I mean, God, God bless. Uh, you know, <laughs> giving season tickets uh, from from, <laughs> but you know, for, in the stadium, not in uh, in the stands. <laughs> yeah, not a, yeah. He should be sitting next to me watching practice, not Interestingly, playing. Interestingly, you talk about Brock Purdy and Miami and the kind of the the, the circle of life. He turned down Alabama. Um, Did he really? Iowa State because he was Gateway Player of the Year in Arizona. I mean, he could have been playing alongside. To uh, Mac Jones, you know, huh. that's nice part of that rotation. Overall, don't you wish the Dolphins had uh, had Reed Sinnott back? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Reed All Sinnott right, was in preseason, definitely. <laughs> and now, when we continue, we'll be back with running backs. But first, these words: Chris and the guys at Greenview Construction LLC are a firm offering professional services in design and of course construction. And they are proud to announce that they've completed design and 3D renderings for two spec home models located in the Jupiter and Palm Beach Gardens area, sitting on over one acre lots. Now, they've got four lots available for these model homes. The first is a British West Indies model style, totaling just over four and a half thousand square foot, air-conditioned space, five bedrooms, five bathrooms, and they boast 16-foot ceilings in some areas. The second, more traditional style home, 3,100 square foot, air-conditioned space, four bedrooms and four baths. They boast 14-foot ceilings in some areas. Both models will have a free-flowing layouts that connect the kitchen, the family room, living room, library, I mean library, a den, an outdoor lanai, and both models will have an option to add a detached in-law suite if you really want the in-laws to move in, and a garage totaling an additional 1,000 square foot. You can visit Chris and the team online at www.greenviewconstruction.com. You can email Chris Tyson, that's C Tyson, as in Mike Tyson, C Tyson at greenviewconstruction.com, or you can call 561-727-5013. They're also on Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, just look for Greenview Construction. And if that wasn't enough, they have an appointment-only showroom at 715 Commerce Way West, Suite 14 in Jupiter, Florida. Man, I really do believe Isaiah Spiller is the best running back in this class. And I understand that Brees Hall fired off a number at the Combine. And I do like Kenneth Walker. I've liked them all year. Samir White. James Cook. James Cook actually had a, a day 30 visit with the Dolphins, which is kind of interesting because I think he's right there in that sweet spot of 102. You could, big Dolphins fan. Yeah, I don't know if you disagree with me or not, but is he in that sweet spot of 102, Simon? Um, he might be. I, I suspect he'll be gone a bit before that, but he might be. He's a fucking but, good pass. But yeah, I like Isaiah Spiller. I think he's best in class. As far as for the Dolphins, Pierre Strong, South Dakota State, very smooth runner, you know, very decisive, perfect for the system. Like, he's tailor-made for the system. And, of course, Rashad White. And I don't want to say who he reminds me of, but you can take a guess. Uh, Simon, your thoughts on the class? Who's best in class? Who do you like for the Dolphins? Yeah, uh, so I, to me, Spiller's the best back in the draft. I like Brian Robinson. I like Brees Hall. I like Walker. Um, I have a number of players who aren't nearly as highly rated who I just watched repeatedly and just thought were Cameron Harris of Miami is a legitimate number one running back if he 
Um, I mean, he is a really, really good player. Um, his skill set is is insane. I know Miami fans will be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You watch his games, you look at how quick he is. He has the fastest time ever recorded in GPS in college football, 23.07. The way he presses the line, the, his understanding of angles, he can jump cut between creases without any any loss of speed. He never goes down on first contact. He's got really good hands out the backfield. He's just a little bit unbalanced with his cutting. But this is a he has got day one upside with day three inexperience. Um, I think he's a really really good player. Um, he tests brilliantly. He's got really good size. Um, I like Damian Pierce of Florida. He was outstanding at the Senior Bowl. He fits the scheme. He's never had more than 517 yards rushing in four years. So there's very little tread on the tires. But he's a good player. I mean, just just you go down the list. Tyler Allegear at BYU is a really good player. You mentioned Zamir White. Um, Tyrion Davis Price at LSU is an absolute fucking machine. The way he, I mean, this is a guy that just loves to hit people. He is a he's a good player. The Dolphins really like Rashad White. He's a great scheme fit as well. He's got the best hands out of the backfield. I mean, Jerome Ford was, you know, a five star to Alabama. Went played a year at Cincinnati and had um, or two years at Cincinnati. Ironically, Chris, we do you remember when I came to see you and um, I went to that Henry Plant game in Tampa. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Jerome Ford was playing in that game. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zaquandre Wright, White at South Carolina is a is a fascinating. I mean, he has got some serious jumps, uh, some serious juice. Um, he's his own back as well. Devontae Price, Jay Sean Corbin at FSU. You just go down the list. You haven't got to Kyron Williams yet. I mean, there are some seriously good players. Um, I think scheme fits. I think you probably mentioned them. Pierre Strong is a good scheme fit. I think um, Ty Chandler is a good uh, scheme fit. The North Carolina kid. Um, who else is a good scheme fit? Um, Tyler Goodson, probably. Yeah, Tyler Goodson's a, a pretty good scheme fit. I think. Um, I mean, there's there's plenty of players. I, mean, I think the Dolphins will. You know, you talk about James Cook. I, I can't necessarily see the Dolphins bringing in a another guy who's you know. I mean, he's five eleven, one hundred ninety nine pounds. I can't think that they're going to have just a roster full of small guys. Maybe they are. Hmm. Um, and just play midget football, but um, you, I kind of feel like they're gonna suck, they're gonna want a bigger player. Um, and Rashad White just fit. I mean, he is in that sweet spot. I mean, he's six foot, two hundred and fourteen pounds. Yeah, he is lightly used. He, um, you know, essentially was a part of a three man rotation. Uh, Dolphins really like him. He's got great hands. Just fits the scheme. But I think those bigger guys here is Amir White is two fifteen. Uh, Algier is two twenty four. Pierce is 220. You know, I think it's going to, if it's going to be a guy, it's going to be a guy like that, I think, rather than a, you know, a lighter guy. Cause they've just got enough of those players. Do you know what I mean? Brian mm-hmm. Robertson, 226. So, yeah, we'll see. It's a good class, though. It's a really good class. I agree. It's a, it's a great class. And it's, it's a really good class to have those picks 102 and 125. If, if we learned anything from last year, is a lot of good players got taken in that fourth round and, and on as far as running backs, including one I really liked. Uh, I forget his first name, but the Hill kid for uh, Green Bay took him in the seventh round or the sixth round. Yeah, the kid from Mississippi State. Blew yeah, out Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill was his name. I oh, loved him. I, I loved him liked, coming out. Um, you, to be fair to you, you liked Elijah Mitchell, who had a great Yeah, year I loved L- Elijah Mitchell. He went in the sixth round. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this is that kind of class. I think this this is the, that kind of class where – 
Dolphins could be sitting there at 125, and we could be staring at one of these names that we just mentioned, a Pierre Strong or Rashad White, a really, really good player. Your thoughts, Chris, on this class. First of all, you know, who's the class of the class, and what do you think as far as the Dolphins? Well, I think, you know, class of the class, I, I'm, I'm another Isaiah Spiller fan, but I, I do want to give a shout-out to, uh, to Brian Robinson here because, you know, f- frankly – I mean, not only is he just like impressive when you watch him play, but it's, it seems, you know, just every, every back out of Alabama plays in the NFL. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way, that's the way it works. It's the strength of the team. It's what they recruit. It's what they, um, the base layer of their offense really um, is making sure that they can just throw an incredible, you know, um, number of these, these guys out there that are just going to punish defenses. And uh, I, I like Brian. I like watching him play football. I think, I think he's good. As for the dolphins though, um, you know, I have to look through, I, I have to say it wouldn't surprise me at all. If they do not get a bigger guy, you know, if, if they do, you know, another five foot nine, 200 pound, 195 pound, something like that kind of guy. And that's just because if you look through the San Francisco history, going back years and years, and you know, you're still talking, you're talking about small guys like Raheem Mostert. You're talking about small guys like, um, you know, Raheem Mostert is 190 pounds. You know, you're talking about Matt Breida, who is like uh, 190 pounds. Uh, you're talking about Jeff Wilson, who is, um, is, is something like uh, 195 pounds, somewhere around there. Um, 215, Jeff Wilson. He is, is, is he now? Cause yeah. then that... he's, six, he's six foot two fifteen. I'm literally just looking at his yeah, and, uh, and at the combine. Wasn't, he, was he wasn't, he wasn't for a while, for a while. Was he was two ten at the combine. Was he two ten at the combine? Yeah. No way. I just saw him listed literally at one ninety four. Uh, um, but I, I mean, I don't look at him and think that he's a, he's a big back, but maybe uh, everybody. And this could be varies. something, this could be nothing, but uh, Raheem Moser on the NFL website is listed at two Oh five, but the dolphins, uh, interestingly enough, they finally got their measurements in and they put them up the first time at 197. So yeah. that tells you that those listed weights are all are pretty much phony baloney. Mitchell was 201 at the combine, but Trey Sermon was 216. So they kind yeah, of Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon and the and Tevin Coleman are the uh the only guys that um that you see at, in San Francisco that were a little bit to me were were a little bit bigger, but they weren't the guys that rose you know rose to the top of the pecking order and in terms of getting getting the carries and getting uh the production the guys who got the production generally speaking i mean even going back to elijah mitchell um who weighed in at two he's five foot ten and 201 you know i mean like we're talking about small guys and what are we talking about we're talking about fast guys okay and and they does feel like a great fit doesn't he yeah, I mean, well, especially since Chris Greer is a big uh, Georgia guy. But um, so I, I think that if you're looking at the profile of what first off, I get the feeling and this is just a feeling um, that when Mike McDaniel comes uh, comes in and he's a running game specialist and he's worked with running backs and and all these things, he's talked about, you know, the the presentation they give to the, to the scouting staff about what exactly the specific traits they're looking for in this um, at that position uh, for this system and how, you know, how tried and tried and true it is and and so on and so forth. Um, You look at their history and it's, it's speed. It is speed. I go back to the 2019. I, I 
talked about this on Twitter a little bit, that, that Super Bowl where they faced each other, they faced the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, the teams that were number one and number two in average, you know, we're talking about the, the Zebra technology GPS stuff, the number one and number two um, ball carrier speed teams in the NFL that year were the Chiefs and the, um, the San Francisco 49ers. And the Chiefs, you knew that Tyreek Hill was a big part of that. Um, they had other guys too, but, but and with the, um, the 49ers, you knew that like Raheem Mostert was part of that. But it's, it's all about speed. It's all about keeping guys running at fast speed. It's it's run to daylight. It's speed and more speed and more speed. And I think that you look at this class and that's that's kind of I think they're looking at Mike McDaniel and saying, OK, pick your guy, then. you know, pick your next mm-hmm. Elijah Mitchell, you know, pick pick the guy that that has the traits that you're looking for. And so when I'm looking at and when I'm thinking about that, I don't think they're going to be like you know, okay, well, we've got, I don't think they're going to fit it to the roster. I don't think they're going to fit it to, okay, well, we've got uh, um, Chase uh, Edmonds and we've got Raheem Mostert. Uh, I guess we need a guy that's like 220 then to bang it in. No, I think they might very well find another dude that's like, uh, you know, five foot nine or five foot 10 and and 195, 200 pounds. And so I look at guys like, uh, for some reason, they're all named Tyler, but like uh, Tyler Beatty, Tyler, Ty Chandler, um, Tyler Goodson. I think you mentioned a good one in Pierre strong. Um, I think, I think these guys that have speed run to daylight, uh, skills, uh, and can also catch the ball out of the backfield. I think that's where they're going to go. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's the, the pick at one Oh two at all. Cause I, I, I can't think they're done at running back because when you get right down to it, Chase Edmonds has been kind of more of a number two and Raheem Mostert hasn't been, you know, healthy or productive in a couple of years. And he's like 31 years old. So, mm-hmm. um, so, and you, so for all we know, we, we might not get anything out of Raheem Mostert this year. Um, and, and that's just an unfortunate looking at the, the recent history. Um, so I don't think they're done there. I think they, when, when I keep talking about how they might package 102 and 125 up to move up, say, you know, into the 190 or 18 or eight, not 190, the, the 90 or maybe even 85 to 90 range or something like that to pick a targeted guy. I wouldn't be surprised if that is a running back and that, that will be a guy that probably Mike McDaniel has his hands all over. And to me, for my money, I'm betting on, I'm betting on that being one of those speedy backs, one of those run to daylight, very fast uh, home run hitter backs um, who can catch the ball out of the backfield, you know, burst and speed. And that's, so that's, that's where I'm going with, uh, with these guys. Strong has 47 plays of 15 plus yards in his yeah, career. I mean, South Dakota he's, he's, he's he ran, what did he run? What did he run? He ran like four a 437. Four, yeah, 437. I have him here on the NFL site. Well, Elijah Mitchell last year ran a 435, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that um, I it really does. And I, I know the speed isn't everything, and people will look at a four six and guys guys that are very good backs that ran like a four six and be like, you know, that means nothing. And and to a lot of teams. That's probably true. I don't imagine Miami is going to be one of them. I, I really don't. I think when they see Pierre Strong run a four three seven or four three eight, that matters to them. You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, although although I would say this, you know, when you start, you know, parsing four three seven four four two, I think everything under four five is blazing fast. Especially like Rashad White, he ran four four eight, two hundred and fifteen pounds. You know, 
you know, and the and he looks it. Okay, he's a big guy when you look at him because he's all of six feet. He and he's angular, so you know his body type is the type that he gets on a weight training program. You he might get up to two twenty two, you know, rather easily. So yeah, anything under four or five, I'm I'm in on it. But I completely agree with you. I think it's a requirement. I think you're not going to see any like the any try hard guys that run four sixes. I don't think they I don't think they care. Well, I mean, want, the 49ers they, they drafted to... that. They drafted that in Trey Sermon. He ran a four six one. He's a six. He's a six foot two hundred fifteen. And then they guy. buried that, him. Then they buried him in the buried, depth chart. Then they buried him in the depth chart. He never got anything done. Um, and the guy who ended up on, on top of it was the next Raheem Mostert, uh, Matt Breida, kind of you know the four three, the four three five speedster Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, and and I wouldn't put it past them to just look at the board at one hundred two. And they they have their heart set on a running back, and they might even send that somewhere for an established player. Uh, you know, I think that's something that they might look at. But looking deeper into this, because they do have a couple of seventh round picks, which means you know not not all these guys are going to get drafted. So that UDFA market, that seventh round market, we mentioned one in Kylan Hill. We had him as maybe a fourth round pick. He ended up getting drafted in the seventh round by the Green Bay Packers. He figures to play this year. So, you know, who are those guys? I guess on the way out here, Simon, who are the UDFA types? Who are the seventh round types that you have an eye out on? Because I look at the bottom of this group. I kind of like the Joshua Corbin kid from uh, uh, FSU. Yeah, uh, Corbin, yeah, he's a really good player. Okay. I, have my I think he's um, I think he's a good player. Uh, what you have to remember about Jason Corbin is that um, – he has um, serious talent, but he he severely tore his hamstring in 2019. Muscle essentially just tore off the bone. He missed all that season. He transferred to, to Florida State um, and obviously was coming back from the injury in 2020. In 2021, I mean, FSU's line was absolutely terrible and he was in a rotation as part of a three-headed running attack. He had 887 yards and 25 catches. Uh, he's a good player. And he went to the Shrine game and played really well, was the MVP of the uh, for, for his side of the, his team. He was the, the MVP of the game. Um, I think he's a, he's a good player. Mateo Durant, uh, um, a Duke, is 5'11", 196. He's a really good... Um, he's a Tony Pollard type he's got good eyes he's quick in and out of the hole he's got good feet he's got some serious wiggle um, good hands I like him he's got burst um, I think he fits um, and then who else is the I mean, we mentioned Ty Chandler the, the the North Carolina kid and he's 5'10 203 he was a two-time Mr. Football in the state of Tennessee didn't play very well for the Vols in 25 starts then came to North Carolina and um and had a terrific season uh, with 1,063 yards and looked like a real player. He's an outside zone runner. He um, can line up all over. He's played from the slot, the boundary, comes in motion out, out of the backfield. He's got excellent hands. Um, I like him. He's an interesting player. Um, and there's the kid There's the kid at UTSA, um, Sincere McCormack. I don't know if you've seen any of him. He's 5'10". He's 205 pounds. He had 4,000 yards rushing in three seasons, or 3,929. Um, 1800 yard games, he can carry the load. In fact, he he carried the ball more than 29 times. Um, seven times he carried it more than 29 times in just three three years. 
including games with 36, 37 and 41 carries. Um, last season, he had 24 carries of 15 plus yards, which was second only to Brees Hall on 30 fewer carries. Um, he's an interesting player as well. So they, these are some of the later round guys that I think would be um, that are of interest. Yeah, I would throw in Devonta Price, uh, FIU, although, you know, he's he's yeah, a much different. He's going to go much earlier than that. Yeah, and I think uh, he's he's a riskier pick, in my opinion. I, I don't think he's a polished product at all. Uh, you know, uh, remember, it's a lesser league. He's a bigger guy. He ran a 4.38 at the 40. So it's, he's, it's telling you that, you know, he's kind of, you know, you know, big brothering a lot of the competition in he's that league. He's got great vision. And he is very good in pass protection. Yeah, that oh, absolutely. And and he and he's, he's a big guy, 6'1", 210 pounds, and he looks it like he looks like okay. There's there's that frame can carry another fifteen pounds he easily. Reminds of, he reminds me of Antonio Gibson, which should be a bit of a telltale. Given yes, we're looking hard at Antonio Gibson as a potential trade. Absolutely, Chris, on the way out. Uh, what do you have here as UDFAs, uh, guys under the radar? Maybe that, maybe using one of those two seven round picks. You know, I, I think that uh, Simon mentioned mentioned a guy that's um, that's as good as anybody to talk about, and at that stage of the draft, and that's Cameron Harris. Um, you know, a guy that kind of still just, and this is still from years ago, having watched him, and another guy that seems like he's been around forever, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of injuries there and, um, and such, but I kind of feel like he fits. Uh, and that's, um, you know, I would, I would look at, and, and this is strictly as a UDFA, this is not a draftable player, but um, that, I, I kind of get a feeling about, about Mike Epstein of uh, Illinois. I, I, whenever I've watched him, he's always been a, you know, a super speedy guy um, with, uh, with skills in the passing game and, you know, just, just shifty quickness and, you know, I think that another guy to to look at from um, the standpoint, uh, you know, of of fit and what they um, what they might be looking for, um, especially I think in the passing game and and you know my this has always been my impression of him that um, that he's kind of an all arounder uh, is Max Borgie, you know, from yeah. Washington State. Um, I mean, we're, go back a couple of years ago, he had eighty six catches. <laughs> um mm. and i think that uh you know 127 127 uh attempts for 800 you know six and a half yard average as a running uh, as a runner and and also 86 catches as a pass catcher out of the backfield um he, he hasn't done that lately um uh, in the last two years but i you know he, he's got tape he's got tape of him catching a whole lot of balls and you know when you get down to the speed and and if that's if that is important to Miami, um, he did bust out a four or five two. I'm again we're talking about UDFA's. We're not talking about the good ones, right? Um, the really good mm-hmm. ones. So uh, so yeah, that's a guy to watch. And we'll come back with wide receivers and tight ends. But first, these words: Are you a business owner or executive who needs more results from your marketing team? Do you struggle to measure the results of your marketing spend? Or do you need to spend less time running marketing personally? A metrics marketer fractional CMO can help. A fractional CMO delivers measurable results and value by combining real-world experience with a proven marketing framework and process, all at a fraction of the price of a full-time marketing leader. We manage and enhance your existing marketing team while creating programs designed to drive awareness, revenue, and growth for your company. 
Let us create, manage, and deploy a marketing strategy to help you reach your goals faster. Visit yourfcmo.com. That's yourfcmo.com to request a free, no obligation consultation. Mention 3YPC for a special discount of 10% off our services. Grow your business faster with a fractional CMO. Well, we're going to do wide receivers and tight ends here. And uh, I'll start off here. Uh, Simon, do you have any idea who's who's on the wide receiver core for the Miami Dolphins this year? Sorry, do I have any idea who is the Miami Dolphins wide receiver core? Yes, right now. Yeah, you know, like Lynn Bowden and, and Lynn <laughs> Bowden. Uh, as in, who do I think will make the team? Yeah, no, who, who's on it? Because there's a couple of guys on here. Did you know that there's a guy called River Craycraft? Craycraft? I know there's a guy called River Craycraft, yeah. Absolutely. Craycraft. And another guy called Cody Core. I had no idea. Yeah. There's, also, there's also a guy named Lynn D. Bowden. Lynn well, you get it you get it get yeah. it d yeah. d bowden get it you, don't, you gotta figure trent sherfield's making the team right don't don't do comedy anymore <laughs> Devonte deadman is is evidently somebody that's on the team yeah he's swear that, that he's the kid from canada isn't he he's the canada I, superstar cfl i thought he was on the heat <laughs> that's Dwayne deadman <laughs> oh I isn't bet. he the wasn't he the best special teams player in the um in the CFL, Deadman. Yes, he was. Dwayne yeah, was the return man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in other wide receiver news, Preston Williams is up to two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Is this good? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? He's six oh, five. He's, that's weird. He's you think that's a bad thing? He's not going to make the team anyway, mate. To be honest. Really? Well, wow. Okay. Honestly, well, well, honestly, we're starting this might... podcast in a good place here. Well, well, well I mean, honestly, well, does that mean he's replacing Matt Collins? Probably. What circumstances is he making the team? He's played like 10 games in four years. He's never fit. You can't rely on him. Well, they got rid of Mac Hollins and Devontae Parker. So they, I mean, they're kind of running short on guys who are a little bit bigger. I mean, just, sure, just in Sherfield, terms of a matchup, you know? Sherfield's 6'1, 220. Yeah, but it's Trent Sherfield. He's a soccer player. <laughs> he's making the team, though. I mean, he's. He is. Does he play? Does he play for Liverpool? Like what? He might do. I mean, probably not because they're so fucking good. But, <laughs> thing, but well, yeah. whoever this Cody Core guy is is six three. We know that. Cody Core last. Um, I remember when he played. Uh, he played pretty well in the NFL back in like nineteen seventy five. I know he went to Ole Miss, and I remember him playing at Ole Miss, and then you look at his age, and you see that he's 28 years old, and then you realize why you don't remember him playing at Ole Miss. Cody Core. You got to figure Cedric Wilson is also, you know, he fits that build for, you know, that bill for the the big wide receiver. But 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 not, but, but, not, but, but he's like a, a slot dude, isn't he? Like, yeah, I mean, but he could win. He could win. He could win vertically. I mean, Cedric he can, Wilson. like he, I've seen him beat guys like, you know, with even with speed on the outside, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I have a hard time with, uh, with the size of the unit in general. And I, I do think Preston Williams brings something to it. He's played 17 of 49 games <laughs> in the last three seasons. So he's well-rested. <laughs> Jeez. He also had the most mysterious foot injury in the history of foot injuries. To this day, we don't know what happened to his foot, but we know he was well, out for 18 months. He's a unicorn. He got laminitis. 
Yeah, like, I seriously, mean, what happened to his foot? It wasn't an Achilles. Okay. We know that. It wasn't an Achilles injury. We know that for a fact. It was something that happened to his foot. And it happened after he had a touchdown pass against the Cardinals. Then he disappeared for eight, for 18 months. And it just be a simple, I mean, probably plantar fasciitis or something like that. I mean, that's, nah. that's pretty common. They'll draft a bigger receiver anyway. So I don't think it's a problem. You think so? You think, I mean, I, they don't, they, it's not like they got many picks here. <laughs> I think they'll draft a bigger receiver. I mean, yeah. we, we want them, they're going to go with an offensive lineman. We think, I think they're probably going to go with a running back at some point. I don't think they're done here's with a guy, that position. Here's a guy that they'll draft, okay? Dontario Drummond of Old Miss. You just made that name up. I, I really didn't. I actually saw him play live for East Mississippi Community College in the 2017. You Duke just made State that school up. Juco State Championship. East Mississippi. Come on, they're the team that were on. I um, know, I know. What should we call it? He is six foot one, 216 pounds, and he is exactly a perfect fit for, you know, he's not a massively fast runner, lacks a, you know, decisive top end speed. He's a four six guy, but he is um, he's a yak guy. Where he wins, he's one of the best yak guys in the draft. Um, Often seem all about speed lately, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. So just yeah. mix it up with a big fat slow guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's mix it up. Let's make. You know what? They should sign. They should sign me then. <laughs> yeah, he's got that. Um, he has got that kind of versatility. He can block. He can throw. There's the sort of stuff that. Um, Cedric Wilson does in terms of I think there's really good day three value there in that sort of quick pass RPO offense. Um, the only thing is he's he'll be 25 in training camp, which will obviously affect his grade, but then just makes it more, um, you know, makes him a better late round target for the Dolphins. Well, he can rent it. He can rent his own car. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. well, they, they met with Taekwon Thornton. Is that yeah, something or nothing? Like- I mean, he's an interesting player. I, I like him a lot. He's uh, he's kind of been um, he's kind of been pegged as a sort of Marquez Valdez scandling, but uh, he's the best deep threat in the draft. You know, this is a guy with Olympic speed, like he's a four-two-six guy, but um, he and he has tiny hands. His hands are like eight inches, um, and he's six-three, which is yeah, odd, he right? One hundred eighty-one pounds, and he looks like a pigeon below the waist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but other than that, he's great. No, but the interesting thing about him is he's been pegged as this pure deep threat when actually that's not what he does at all. Yes, he's got this Olympic speed to win down the field. He's, he can go up above the rim on contested catches and high point the ball. But actually, he's really good coming out of his breaks. He uses his head, his hips. He kind of creates that instant separation because he's just got that real good short area quickness on top of the ridiculous speed. And you watch him at the Shrine Games in terms of how he got open. They, they just couldn't cover the guy. Um, and... He's arguably the top three or four blocker in the class as well. He's a really, really good blocker. Well, um, he's from Miami too, so yeah, mm-hmm. he don't, you, don't you think uh, like that's that one of their their local yeah. local he, type well, the of local uh, thing guys. was a couple of, was like ten days ago, wasn't it? And I don't think his name was on the local list. So he wasn't on there. I thought he was. So he ran a ten. I think haven't they seen him? I mean, I don't know this as fact, but I thought they'd seen him individually rather than have had him in at the. He ran a 1050 100 meters in 2017. So this dude can absolutely um he can certainly rattle. But there are, you know, there's big guys in the class. I just um, and highly productive, by the way, at Baylor. So yeah. Yeah. But the the other side is that it's Baylor, right? I mean, nothing mm-hmm. in Baylor, but this is the this is the conference, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of you know, but the, the flip side to the flip side is that he was incredibly productive at a power five school that focused so incredibly heavily on the run game with Abram Smith and 
and Tristan Ebner in the backfield. But, you know, he is going against Big 12 defences, so it doesn't always make it easy to gauge a receiver's ability, his release packages, all those sorts of things. But like I said, the Shrine practices, it was an eye-opener. Interesting uh, note from Lance Erline. He says he's one of the best 50-50 ball guys in the in, in this draft, which begins to paint a picture, right? Like, they met with him. Uh, where do you think he goes, Simon? Like, any shot at him? Probably day three, I think. Um, okay. Because he's a bit skinny below the waist. But this was a four-star kid, you know. He originally committed to Florida. He was heavily recruited, obviously, by Matt Rule um, when he was Baylor head coach. Uh, so I think he probably goes – he might go late day two, but I think he's probably one of those early to early day three guys. All right. And uh, something that Lance Erlein also says is that he's slow to sink, like, which means he's bad at breaking off routes or breaking on routes. I don't see so, that. You didn't I see that? I, what he does, I think he looks a little bit legs when he kind of gathers mm-hmm. the ball and then gears back up again. But I think he, out of release, mm-hmm. uh, out of his breaks, he can stack corners really well. Um, and I just think he is he's very good at coming out of his breaks. Um, so I don't see that at all. At 102, you take him at 102, or are you looking elsewhere? I probably no, I take him at 124 or one. Okay, all right. Now, Chris, he, his his body type, you know, reminds me of. He's not this. He's not. He's not the same speed. But like you know, looking at his body and his build, it kind of reminds me of uh, like someone like TJ Hushmanzada or something. Like you know, there's there's like a I don't know there's a there's a lankiness and like thinness of the of the the body. I thought you were going to say Tony Martin. Tony Martin, because oh, that's, that's what that, he reminds that me. That brings of. about yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's not fair. That's that's not bad. Now, what does it say, Chris? I'm going to ask you, and then I'll ask Simon the same thing. A little bit of news that we kind of broke on on OnlyFans. Dolphins were were kind of enamored at 29 when they had the pick. They used the pick. They used the pick on Tyreek Hill. So I would say that their first round pick was well well spent this year. But what does it say that they were kind of enamored with Chris Olave? At 29. Well, you know, if Tyreek Hill wasn't available at number 29, then uh, then you can go with Chris Olave. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I think uh, I, I think it's obvious that they um, they they are still enamored with speed. It seemed like they placed that emphasis last year, even before Mike McDaniel offense, um, you know, came aboard, um, which is interesting because. You know, looking at the uh, looking at Mike McDaniel and, and what he's, I go back to the Super Bowl that they were in in 2019, the San Francisco 49ers, and they, you know, I was I stood in a room with um, the Zebra Technology people. Um, they were doing a presentation. It was very poorly attended. There were probably like five people in there, and um, and I was I was one of them. They were going through all the GPS data and stuff like that of um, of all the teams, and the number one and number two average speed teams in the NFL that year, like in terms of the person with the ball, you know, how fast average, just, just all given, you know, every play and so on and so forth. There were Kansas city and San Francisco, number one and number two and San Francisco, you know, you look at them and you're like, you didn't think they were built for speed, but um, necessarily aside from like Raheem Mostert, but, um, but it, but it was that way. And it was, uh, they were built for, they were built for heavy speed, um, functionally speaking. 
And, uh, and so you think, okay, maybe he's bringing that to, to Miami and that that's part of Chris Olave and, um, and T- Tyreek Hill and so on and so forth. But, uh, but also you, you got to think back to the year before they, where they go, Will Fuller, you know, at uh, a wide receiver and they go Jalen Waddle at uh, at wide receiver you know, that's speed too. And, um, and so I kind of, you know, wonder whether it just, it just really, they're just really in sync with one another that way, but it, there's clearly, I mean, you, you, you talk, you talk about, we go from, if it wasn't Tyreek Hill, it's Chris Olave. I mean, you know, this is a guy with functional speed. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's interesting, but I think they were going to use that pick on an unhappy, you know, a quote unquote unhappy veteran. Um, I think when the San Francisco 49ers pick started to get worse and worse because they were doing better and better, um, then they stopped thinking about that pick as being like a functional draft pick that they're going to use on a rookie and more of a, more of a pick that they're going to, uh, try and use opportunistically, um, to see, you know, somebody, somebody that has a contract impasse, uh, in the NFL, uh, or amongst other NFL teams and just try and flip that pick over to them. And I think Tyreek Hill was just the, the one that sprang open. Um, but if that had all failed, then yeah, I, I had heard that they were um, they were looking at at some of the uh, the speedy wide receivers at that number twenty nine, and Olave is probably uh, as good as any. Uh, Simon, what did you make of of their assessment of Chris Olave at twenty nine? Yeah, I mean he's a great player. You know, this is a super consistent wide receiver, a high level technician. Reminds me of Stephon Diggs. Um, he's got a custom-made game for the NFL, I think. He's got great hands. He's got great feet. He's an outstanding route runner. You know, I just just don't overthink this. You know, there's so much to like about his game. He's obviously very different to Tyreek Hill. But then he ran, what, did he run a 439? He's run a 1080, 200 meters, mm-hmm. 225, 200 meters. So the guy is, you know, the guy is speedy. You know, he is a fast, fast guy. And it's a great story, actually. I mean, he, Ryan Day only got to see Alave when his high school coach picked him out to catch passes from a quarterback that Ryan Day had come to visit. Nobody had even heard of Chris Alave. Um, and then he was just making one-hand stabs and catches behind his back and all sorts of things. Didn't sign the quarterback, signed uh, Alave. And obviously he's become... I, he, he, we were doing the first round of last year, I think, or a top 40 pick last year. Um, I just think he's a, just a really good player. He's a great route runner. He's patient. He just trusts his natural ability. Uh, I think he's a terrific guy. Uh, now, uh, one question, and, and I guess an add-on to the to the one question is: Jameson Williams the, the best wide receiver in this class? And what happened to John Metry? Uh, to me, he's not. Uh, I have Drake London as a top uh, wide receiver in this class. I, I like Jameson Williams an awful lot, and what I like about him actually is the fact that um, you know he is more inexperienced, I think, than obviously his counterparts at the top of the draft. But he also has the ability to stretch the field. Um, uh, my questions would be, you know you lost your starting job to Jackson Smith and Jigbo, which is no, you know, which is no detriment, but it will be a question I think for coaches as to why you didn't stick it out there. You know, why didn't you try and work your way back? I, I, I think he's a, he's a very interesting player. I don't think he's a one trick pony. I think he is incredibly sudden. What I love about his route running is that he has the ability to control his tempo. Um, he has some nuance to his route running as well, which I think is, um, you know, he has this ability to to drop his hips and stop his momentum, like throttle down the speed or then shift up through the gears during his stem, which obviously makes life extremely difficult for a corner. And if you're a corner that's flat footed or a single high free safety, you do not want to see 
this guy coming towards you full speed. You know, he, he's got that sort of Ted Ginn quickness from a Ted Ginn at Ohio State, you know, just the elite quickness that he had. He's also a great special teams player. He's a, a great gunner, excellent tackler. Uh, on special teams but he to me he's and also look he's coming off the um he's coming off the acl tear in, in the national championship so his stock is going to take a bit of a hit but i had him as i'm just looking the fourth best receiver in the class i i don't think he's the best but what i think is interesting about this draft and you just go position by position whether that's you know take the edge where you know is aiden hutchinson number one or is it you know trayvon walker you go to defensive tackle is it Devonte Wyatt or is it jordan davis or is it the kid at uconn you go to linebacker and is it nicobe dean or is it devon lloyd or you know is it channing tindall or is it quay walker or you go to cornerback and you know most people would say it's source gardner but you know straight off the back of that you've got andrew booth and you've got Derek stingley and you've got kyla gordon you've got trent mcduffie and you've got roger mccreary and you've got martin emerson and you've got career alarm and you know the the gaps between these players aren't very much schematics obviously plays into it in terms of how guys fit into different schemes but i i think um you know the wide receivers will be all over the board in terms of what you want. Do you want a big guy like a Drake London? Do you want a big guy like a Traylon Burks? Do you want a guy who's a, a great route runner like an Alave or a Garrett, uh, a Garrett Wilson? Do you want a speedster like a Jameson Williams? Do you want a, a plodder who's going to catch everything like a David Bell? Do you want this? Do you want craft and elite quickness like Jahan Dotson? You know, as for Mechie, what happened to him is that he tore his ACL. He tore his ACL in the SEC Championship game. Um, I felt he plateaued a little bit, I think, last year. Um but I suppose I think it's quite difficult to compare John Mechie to what's come before. You know, he isn't mm. Calvin Ridley. He isn't a Jerry Judy. He isn't a Jalen Wardle. Stylistically, he is very different. I, I think the similarities in the route running in terms of his polish, you know, he's got, he's balanced in and out of his breaks. He's got that ankle flexion. He's a possession in inverted commas. I hate that term possession receiver or speed receiver, mm. I think, but he is a possession receiver. He's got excellent footwork. You look at his, his releases off the line. He, he watches a lot of tape. You go back and watch that Auburn game where Alabama were 10 nothing down and came back and won. You see, you see him getting the the touchdown in overtime against Roger McCreary, who to me is a top 40 pick. You do not get many wide receivers in college who can do what he did in terms of the way he got open against McCreary one-on-one. I think he's great down at the goal line in terms of how he gets open because of his, his releases. Um, but obviously... The, the medical is going to play a huge thing because essentially you're punting on the season for, for John Mechie. All right. Uh, Chris, uh, you, you're not as polished as Simon is on all these product on all these prospects, but uh, you could have you ended have... that statement. Uh, you're not as polished as Simon. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't have been true by the way. <laughs> but what do you have as far as the top of this, of this class? Because, I, I was watching today uh, on Good Morning Football, and they were talking about as many as five. I don't see five. I uh, personally, every year they talk about how the wide receiver class is better every year, year in and year out. I don't quite see it this year, to, to be completely honest. Uh, although I haven't dug as deep as Simon has, so Simon can tell me that I'm wrong. Am I wrong, by the way, Simon? What, sorry, what was the question? You just broke off it there. Yeah, uh, I said that that I don't find this this class particularly deep. The wide receiver class. Yeah, oh, wide receiver deep. class. Oh, I do. That's I one thing deep. I do know about this class. I mean, like, stop me when we get into day three, okay? Uh, this is a okay. genuine thing. Stop me. Drake London, George Pickett, mm-hmm. Chris Alave, Jameson Williams, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Jahan Dotson, John Mechie, David Bell, Christian Watson, Sky Moore, Wondell Robinson, Alec Pierce, Kahil Shakir, I can tell you we're definitely still on day two at this point. Kyle Phillips, Tyquan Thornton, 
Jalen Tolbert, Romeo Dubs, Danny Gray. We're almost certainly still on day three, maybe into day four, but probably day three, uh, day two. Um, Calvin Austin, probably still day two. And then there's questions about uh, Makai Polk of Mississippi State might get into day two as well. I mean, and that to me you, is... You didn't even say, you didn't even say Justin Ross. <laughs> I didn't say Justin Ross because I think the medicals will... I, yeah. I, I've heard the medicals are not good for Justin Ross. But I, I mean, if Justin, well, okay, that's fair. But I mean, if Justin Ross is day three, then this is a deep class. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not an expert on this entire class, but I'm an expert on some of these players. And Charleston Rambo having a fourth round grade is insanity to me. Yeah. There's guys, I mean, I, I, I don't have Rambo that high, I've got to say. Uh, there's guys on day three that I think are really good players. Javon Heli of Coastal Carolina, Bo Melton of Rutgers. There's a kid at Nickel State, Dajeen Dixon, who reminds me of Cortland Sutton. Um, there's a kid at Sam Houston State, Jaquez Ezard, who's the, probably the biggest big play receiver in college football. I mean, he averages 27 yards of catch and 18 yards of punt return. Um, Calvin Turner at Hawaii, you know, the, the Ty Fry Fogel at Indiana. You know, Jalen, you go down to Jalen Naylor at Michigan State and Velas Jones at Tennessee. You know, Velas Jones is a you know, one of the best return guys. And, you know, people talking about him ending up on the, the second day um, in terms of, um, you know, what he can do. Uh, one of the best blockers in the draft as well. So uh, there's 25, 26 receivers in this class who, you know, you could potentially say were top five, first five rounds guys. There's some real, it's a really deep class. One of the deepest classes uh, in this uh, position classes in, in this draft. Where'd you come out on David Bell? Because uh, didn't he didn't he end up like um, you know kind of yeah. really disappointing with his uh, pro day or yeah? Although, but kind of like you know, David Bell is David Bell, right? I don't think anybody thought he was going to run fast or test. Right. You know, he ran a four sixty two. I don't think anybody thought he was going to be. But like he's Alan Robinson. Like he's technical. He's tough. He's fearless. He's got good size. He's got great ball skills. Like he doesn't play like a guy that's four four, but he doesn't play like a guy who's slow. Do you know what I mean? He gets open. He's one of those draft good college players, guys. Do you know mm. what I mean? He's not going to out-test you, but he's got a great brain. He can block. He's got great hands. He'll block down near the goal line. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, he's just a um, – he's a sort of player who, you know, ends up playing 10 years, a uh, really high level, is a really good role player for an offense as an X. You know, you don't need to manufacture touches for him. He's just a really good player. He's tough as old boot leather. Um, he'll go up and make catches, and, yeah, I, I really like him. All right, so and and we're gonna get into you know guys that can be in that sweet spot at one hundred two to one hundred two one twenty five. Uh, I have one, and I guess I'll ask you about him. Jalen Naylor of Michigan State. He seems faster than that four or five he ran at the combine to me. I saw him play like you know he's always injured. Okay, now that's his issue. Okay, he's taken an injury every single year in college. Okay, but he's a good blocker. He's physical. And he's always struck me as much, much faster than that four or five. Like, I always figured he'd be one of those guys that would blaze a four or three at the combine, but not so. Uh, your thoughts on on him, Simon? Yeah, he ran a 1070 in 100 meters. So, you know, he is fast. His nickname is Speedy, actually. Um, but the injuries are an issue. Five games in 2018, nine games in 2019 with a broken foot, sat out the last four games of 2021 with a right hand injury. Um he is a vertical threat. He was a state championship sprinter. Um, but four seasons, he only played one full season, and that was the six-game season of 2020. Um, he's got return speed. He's got great speed in terms of just, you know, straight line speed. Um, I'm not – I mean, to me, he's a day three. He's a late day three guy. Um, mm. 
I mean, I like the fact that, you know, you look at the, you know, with the ball in his hand, he's a really interesting guy. He's a bit of a yak menace. He's got good vision in the open field. Go back to that Rutgers game. You know, he had three, three touchdowns in the first half, 63, 63, 65 yards. You know, I think you'd be concerned about taking a guy that high who only has 86 career catches across four years. Do you know what I mean? But I think there's something there for a sort of fourth, fifth receiver, return man, special teams gunner with with speed to burn. All right. Uh, Chris, do you got a guy for 102 to 125? Not a, well, not really at 102. I frankly I think um I think after after signing Cedric Wilson and uh and and drafting Tyreek Hill or not draft <laughs> um <laughs> sort of um but uh but trading for Tyreek Hill with Jalen Waddle already on roster and, you know, we're talking and I know that Simon doesn't think he's going to make the team, but I, I think he probably will. And that's Preston Williams. And we're talking about, yes, Lynn Bowden, everybody keeps saying that he's going to be used like Debo Samuel. And I'm like, okay, the guy couldn't even make the roster last year, but now he's Debo Samuel. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I think that they have some assets there. I'm a little bit more intrigued with um you know some of the guys at the bottom uh the the guy that we i i looked at the guy that we picked up uh from the cfl and um and he was you know he is compelling um and so i'm a little bit intrigued with him i'm a little bit intrigued with trent sherfield obviously because he's um he's really good i think that river craycraft is probably here for a reason to be honest, um, I think that there's going to be there's going to be some competition between Lynn, Lynn Bowden and River Craycraft um, for sort of a, a backup, um, you know, a backup role, backup slot role, I guess you could say, uh, and Devonte Dedman as well, the um, the CFL guy. Uh, they're all kind of similar players. I think there's going to be some competition between Trent Sherfield and Preston Williams, maybe Cody Core. I, I did see him at the Shrine practices, by the way, a long time ago, once upon a time. But, um, you know, I think there's going to be competition between Preston Williams and Trent Sherfield for a uh, position behind, you know, on the, as, as an outside player, um, not behind Devontae Parker anymore because he's not here. But, um, but I think that uh, – and Trent Sherfield, obviously, they had him in San Francisco. He's here for a reason. So I think there are the, the guys at the bottom of the roster, even discounting the top of the guy, roster guys, that are kind of here for a reason to try and install a system. And so I have a hard time believing that they're even going to take one, to be hmm. 100% honest. I, I don't think they're going to consider it until like, we get the PF – until we get the priority free agent uh, land. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's anybody at 102. I think the interesting thing is the roster construction, which seems weird talking about it April the 13th or whatever we are, but you know, how many running backs are they going to carry? They're going to carry a fullback because they signed Alex Ingold, the John Lovett's on the roster as well, right? They're Mm going to carry a fullback. The question will then become, do they carry five receivers or six receivers? If they carry six, Lim Bowden can essentially double up as a running back in, a, you know, if if we needed him to. Do you know what I mean? Tight ends, obviously, the offense is kind of predicated on the strength of tight ends. Now, we've got five on the roster currently. I can't see all five making it, so I, I would suggest that Seath and Carter is the, the odd man out there. Do they keep four? Do they keep three? If they keep three, that obviously means you can potentially keep six receivers knowing that one extra place has been taken by your fullback. If they keep four, you're probably going to end up with five receivers. 
So at that point, you know that Cedric Wilson, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill are making the roster. And then it's, you know, it's one from six, uh, two from six, really, to, to, to make it. So it's very interesting to, you know, when you're kind of moving these jigsaw puzzle pieces around mm. to know that we have to remember that there will be a fullback almost certainly on the roster this year, which then probably takes away a wide receiver or a tight end. You're right. right. Actually, that is, that is a big that's a big factor that we don't normally think about. Like we, we don't normally have to think about, I think um, with the fullback and, and it does take away from skill from the number of skill units. I, now I, and when it comes to the tight ends, you're talking about, okay, we know that Mike Gesicki is still going to, still going to be on board. We know that Durham Smythe is still going to be on board because they just gave him a, a contract and he's got a place like, when they need an end of the line tight end, uh, I think you know they're they're probably going to be thinking more of Durham Smythe uh, even than Mike Gesicki, um, and then Hunter Long. They're not going to get rid of him. So, but you still got Adam Shaheen here who did show something for the Dolphins last year. Now I've heard that Frank Smith had Adam Shaheen in Chicago and didn't necessarily love him, mm. but um, given what he did you know, and what he showed as a dolphin once they, they, uh, they got him, it's hard for me to imagine that he's not actually going to make it as a fourth tight end here um, on this team. Uh, Seathan Carter is really hard to say. There's still a contract issue with him, but, um, but yeah, so they've not only got a lot of, you know, they've got the fullback thing. They've, they've still got a lot of tight ends, rosterable tight ends. And, um, and so it's just, it's it's still just tough for me. Like you're talking about 102 and 125. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say I'm going to be very surprised if it's a wide receiver. All right. And moving on to tight ends and we will finish up here. Uh, Simon. Yeah. If you look at the dolphins roster, I think season season Carter has a problem. And that is that they sign Alec Engel. I I think that was his back door onto the roster. Also the the other problem with him is that he's shit. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the main problem? Uh, I mean, to me, that's the number is one. Is that all? That he's shit. <laughs> but to, in be this fair, draft. to be fair, there have been many Dolphins players that have overcome that problem and made the roster anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, who am I to talk? I mean, as Baker Mayfield said today, what was that great quote from Baker Mayfield? <laughs> Something like, I wish I could show up at somebody's cubicle and just boo them all day. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So, I mean, who am I to steer and say that about a Seaton Carter? Yeah, the, the, the obvious answer, the, the obvious retort to Baker Mayfield is pay me $35 million a, a year and you can come boo me all you want. Yeah, yeah. I'll so give you my address. He's not, he's not great. And he ain't making this team. All right. Uh, as far as tight ends, um, is there a possibility? Because there's one in particular. Uh, I don't know how fast he is. He hasn't run. Uh, he kind of lumbers, but his tape checks out as far as for all the things that they're going to want him to do. Jeremy Ruckert of uh, Ohio State. Any yeah, shot whatsoever? He's in there in that 125 range? Or is he going to go earlier, Simon? I think he's probably going to go earlier. He's got the foot injury, which obviously has meant that he's not been able to Yeah work out um i i think he's a, a really good player he's my number three tight end i mean hugely underused um he's got great hands he's got smooth route running he's potentially very solid in the run game he has some inconsistencies in terms of blocking on the move he bizarrely given how good he is in line um and at the third level so at the second level sorry he falls off blocks and he when he motions down and comes down the line to block, he will inexplicably duck his head and whiff completely. But to me, you're going to get a sort of Mark Andrews light type value pick 
with this kid. I mean, he was a former five-star guy. He was the Gatorade player of the year in New York. Um, you know, so I think he is an excellent player who had 54, only 54 catches in four years. Not because he's not a good receiver. It's just that, you know, you average less than three targets a game when you've got Garrett Wilson, Chris Alave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Justin Fields, Travion Henderson and Ed Al on that roster, you know, so that's just, but you go back to some of those big games, Clemson, Alabama, you know, guy making big catches, either to move the chains or big touchdown catches can reach away from his frame to get it. Go back to the Wisconsin game. He's instinctive. He's yeah. I, I like him a lot. He's a good player. I don't, does he get to, I mean, they're not, how could they, how could you justify drafting the tight end? You After can't. they did it last year, right? <laughs> With Hunter oh. Long. <laughs> Unless you're going to trade Hunter Long or you're going to trade Mike Gesicki, I just can't see it. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, I can. Uh, one thing I could have seen, but I think that that's over with now, is trading Mike Gesicki to use his money elsewhere, maybe a right tackle, and then, you know, digging into this draft, trying to package those two picks to get a tight end of their choice. Like don't, I don't know if 102 and 125 equal Trey McBride, which I think is the class of the, of the tight end class. I don't know. Am, am I wrong? McBride, I have as number one guy. Greg Dulcich at UCLA is a really, really good player. Uh, But you agree with me, right? 102 and 125 does not equal Trey McBride. Almost certainly not. But none of Miami's picks should equal tight end. Yeah. Okay. I think that's right. But although, although, what would you think? I mean, because this is this is a hot button. Fans are going to want to know about him anyway. Um, but on, on Quanco from, uh, from, from Maryland, I mean, he's, he's kind of fullback tight end, uh, combo dude. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of love for him out there. And yeah. if you think about him, if you think about him as sort of a versatility guy, uh, could you, you know, could you possibly see it in, in Miami? Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's like, He's a Johnny Smith type. I think he's got speed. He's got yak ability. I mean, he ran a 452 at the combine. The biggest issue for him is that he has a pretty significant medical red flag. So his father died of a heart attack at dinner when uh, when uh, a Quanquo was in high school. And he missed all of 2020 due to myocarditis. So it's the inflammation of the heart muscle. Mm. Um, so uh, with, the, with his father dying of a heart attack, I would suspect that teams would worry quite significantly about that given... Uh, the path that he's gone down. I, I, he runs fast. I don't think he, that speed always shows up on tape, um, but he's twitchy. Uh, he gets open. He can create space at the top of his routes. He's uh, natural with the ball in his hand. Um, and he shows up big in, in short yardage situations, makes a number of catches in tight coverage, knows how to uncover underneath, down at the goal line. You know, some concentration drops. Um, but yeah, high character kid, uh, good player. Uh, I... You know, I mean, what is he, 238, 6238? So he's on the small side. I mean, there's a couple of, you know, if they want blockers, there's a couple of guys out there that are, you know, really, really good blockers. And it kind of, for me, I mean, look, the, the top guys, Dulcich blocks really well, McBride blocks really well, Kate Otten of Washington is a really good blocker. Um, you go down the list, though, you look at a guy like, now where is he? Um, Daniel Bellinger of San Diego State is a really, really good blocker. He's somebody that will just knock you on your ass. I mean, he will throw you out of the club and then follow you down the stairs and chuck you onto the motorway. He's that, <laughs> you know, he's that kind of guy. And then the kid I absolutely love is Co Keefe at, at Minnesota, who is a, a guy, he's one of those joys when you're doing draft stuff where you just find yourself studying one player and all of a sudden the guy you've never heard of keeps showing up and doing amazing shit. And you're just like, who the 
fuck is this guy? And <laughs> Koki, I was watching Tyreek Smith of Ohio State, and I just kept seeing this guy, number 42, coming down and absolutely crushing people. And then at one point, he takes Smith completely out of a play. He walks him 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and then pancakes him into the ground. So you're like, okay, let me check this guy. You Google him and you see his size. And you're like, okay, he's a senior. He's 6'4", 259. Where else can I see him play? You watch him in the Purdue game and he's pulling left to right and he's folding up a blitzer like a deck chair. You flip on the Maryland game and there he is outside left tackle, turning out a defensive end so that the so that Mo Ibrahim can run in behind for a touchdown. Then you put on the Wisconsin tape just to make sure and he's pancaking Jack Sanborn seven or eight yards down the field. Um, and these just aren't individual plays and kind of see nothing else. This is, this is a guy crushing people every snap. He averages a knockdown every six snaps. Yeah. The flip side is he's only touched the ball 13 times in five years, 12 receptions, one rush. But he's going to be a guy who plays for a decade as a blocking tight end. And I would not be shocked to see somebody like Matt LaFleur or Carl Shanahan or Aaron Mike McDaniel have him lined up like a Carl Juszczyk and just mash his way into defenders as a fullback. So he's an interesting guy to keep an eye out on as well. All right, and we're going to have to end it there. And the next time we talk to you, we will be talking offensive linemen. But first, a word from a sponsor. Join OnlyFans for only $3 a month. You get a private chat. You get breaking news. You get video, draft info year-round. Chat with like-minded Dolphin fans. Also, monthly giveaways. When you join, send your Discord and Twitter handle through Patreon DM. Join OnlyFans at Patreon slash OnlyFans. Join for only $3 a month. It's less than a cup of coffee, people. All right, Simon, we were talking about this off air, and I guess I'll ask you, do you have any idea what next-gen stats is? No idea, but I know that ESPN own it, but I have no no concept whatsoever. Okay, They're, they do the these rankings for, for prospects, okay? and Exactly. And they have one player in particular that has what they consider the best rating in the history of next gen stats. And we were, we were speaking uh, a little while ago, me and Chris about what is that history? Is it two weeks old? Uh, is it 20 years old? Is it 10 years old? We don't really know. Who's the player? Tyler Linderbaum. He has a perfect score of 99. And you would think that a hundred's perfect, but evidently they've never had a hundred. Tyler Linderbaum is the highest rated player on next-gen stats history. They have four offensive linemen rated as elite in this draft. Tyler Linderbaum, Evan Neal, Iki Iquanu, and Charles Cross. I yeah. tend to agree with all four. I like all four players. Uh, your thoughts, first of all, on Linderbaum. Yeah, I mean, he's the best center I've graded since Travis Frederick in 2013. Um, he's one of my favorite He's tough. He's rangy. He's incredibly athletic. The issue is weight. You know, he's had issues keeping weight on. His size is going to concern some teams. He checked in at 6'3", 286. He says he plays in the low 280s, um, you know, but it goes back to that kind of just draft good college players because that's what he is. Um, you know, the question is how he'll hold up at the point against bigger, stronger defensive tackles. But you're getting as close to the full package as there is out there. You know, he's a pure zone seeking guy. So there's a talk, you know, bullshit today you know oh <laughs> Linderbaum's stock is falling well it's not falling at all his zone scheme is going to absolutely love him but it's falling in the eyes of a power scheme because at six foot three 286 pounds he's not going to play power mm-hmm. you know I mean he's powerful you know great grip strength he was a state state wrestler you know good play strength he's a mauler 
understands leverage. He's going to pop under your pants and, you know, he'll drive or down block, but that's not his strength. His strength is moving. His strength is getting up on the outside shoulder, reach blocks, you know, pulling, getting down the line, taking out the the edges, taking out linebackers, taking out alley running safeties. You know, that's, um, that's what he is. He is a, um, he is that kind of guy. He is not a going straight forwards and, and mashing people. That's not his, his game, but he's a very, very good player. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as size, you know, smallish centers have, you know, they're sprinkled all throughout the history of the, of the NFL. They're sprinkled throughout this draft, you know, he's, he's 286, you know, Dylan Parham is up to 313, but he was 285, you know, in season, you know, Zach Tom is 303. Donovan West is just 300 pounds. Luke Fortner played in the 290s. He is 307 at the combine. You know, Cam Jurgens got up above 303, but played at, in the 280s. Sam Girak of Northwestern is 295. Alec Lindstrom is 294. Doug Kramer is 301. And he must have had a lot of cake to get to 301. Do you know what I mean? James MP is 303 pounds. Matt Allen, the guy that, that Chris likes, is just 300 pounds. Jack Wallabar is 302 pounds. So, you know, there is a lot of skinny, undersized centers in this class. Yeah, and Lance Zerline, uh, he never really throws around like the, the crazy comparison when, when he does these player comparisons. Tyler Linderbaum's comparison is Jason Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's my favorite player in the NFL. So, and that's a Hall of Famer. Jason Kelsey's going to going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I think what is he an eight time Pro Bowler already, and he still has time. So, that's a hell of a comparison. All right, your thoughts on this uh, next gen stats thing that we just found out about in the last thirty minutes, Chris? Uh, well, can you guess? Um, well, no, you can guess because uh, because I just told you off air. But uh, Simon, can you guess where they uh, next gen stats ranked uh, Jalen Phillips last year? Uh, in terms of like one to like, thirty or whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, twenty sixth, twenty eighth. Okay, obviously a little bit better than that. Uh, can you guess where they uh, ranked um, uh, uh, Jalen Waddle? Uh, 17th, 18th. You're really oh. good at this. <laughs> that's, that's, that's phenomenal because, because, uh, because let me tell you that they uh, ranked both Kadarius, Tony and Elijah Moore ahead wow. of Jalen Waddle and significantly ahead of them. Wow. Um, and both of them had, had uh, far, far less than half of the production than, um, than Jalen Waddle did this year. Um, so they did not like our draft picks last year. Uh, that's <laughs> we like our I, draft picks last year. We, though. I think, I think we like, and, and of course, you know, I, and, and suffice it to say, Javon Holland was not in that top 30. Yeah. I mean, um, right. But he should have been right. So, um, so I, I, you know, I don't know what they're, I get, listen, I, I get really, I get really uptight when I see, um, a draft grading system, that incorporates, you know, production scores, because basically if I'm not doing it, I don't trust it. And uh, if I'm doing it, I don't trust it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really, you know, production scores are so difficult to, uh, to actually to, to incorporate into it. There's no, there's no, um, 
And there's no substitute for really watching the tape and taking account of all of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, uh, you know, and I do believe in, I do actually believe in, um, in really high resolution, uh, physical scores, you know, physical testing, but I, it's, it's about, it's about what you see on the field. Hopefully, uh, it's about what you see in the catapult data or the, and the, the GPS data. Um, it's all those things. Um, and so, you know, I get, I don't think, I don't think there's anything to it. Uh, however, that said, you know, Tyler Linderbaum's a f- absolutely phenomenal center prospect to me. Um, so I, I'm not, I tend not to get that um, worried about his, you know, his weight, uh, just knowing what scheme he's likely to play in. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that he's probably, I mean, he's so obvious as for what scheme he's going to go to he's probably going to have a good career, you know, because mm. he's not going to get guys, guys that have bad careers or not bad careers, but you know, uh, careers where they don't uh, achieve their, their full potential. Uh, you know, it's because teams couldn't really identify uh, which scheme they should go in and, or, or, or there's, there's enough confusion or there's enough, there's enough guys that there's enough teams out there who convince themselves that he can play in your scheme because he's just that good. Um, you know, that, that they do end up in, in wrong schemes, uh, or schemes that don't really uh, help them fulfill their potential. I think it's rather obvious what, where Tyler Linderbaum is going to go. And so, um, so I think that that's, uh, that's going to help him actually. It's just, it's the, the signaling is there. Um, so he's going to, he's going to be a, a very good prospect. Um, and I, but as for the next gen, uh, stats, I can't really say the same about their, uh, their rating system. Now, now you were saying something, and I guess I'll get Simon to chime in on this. Um, Austin Jackson spoke to the media uh, this past week, and you said he was completely full of shit the way he was talking. Uh, he was extremely. Uh, Chris said he was completely full of shit. I didn't say that. Yeah, no, I'm talking about about what Chris. But said. you thought it. You thought it. <laughs> I did think it. He was full of shit. <laughs> he was extremely. Uh, the way I put it to Chris off air was he was very political and eloquent. And whenever you hear political and eloquent, I hear full of shit. <laughs> I think most of our listeners probably hear, you know, Hey, who do you think of as, as eloquent politicians full of shit, <laughs> you know, um, you know, that's listen, I, I have nothing against him. He's, he's got a really great background story and we've talked yeah. about it a long you know, a long time ago, um, you know, he's, this is a guy that's done what he's done, uh, you know, to, to save his sister the way he did. And, you know, this is a, I, I think in many ways, a genuine person, but when he's talking his own book, um, you know, I think that he has come across to me, uh, I've, I've found him to be defensive. I've found him to be, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, overly, um, like you said, political. Uh, I think that, uh, I basically my bullshit radar just keeps going off over and over again. And when you got a guy talking about, you know, how he's, he's really, 
he's really dedicated to the art of offensive line play. And, you know, he loves, he loves watching all the tape of everybody and, you know, him going to the interior of the line really gave him an appreciation for the fundamentals that, you know, because, because of how different it is and, and stuff like that. I am just hearing bullshit, 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 because, when you watch the guy play and you have watched the guy play and we have watched the guy play since, uh, since going back to USC, this is not a guy that has had an appreciation for the fundamentals of the offensive line and offensive line play. This is a, not a guy who's been dedicated to the artistry of <laughs> offensive line play. Okay. This going back years. And this is not just dolphins where he was an abject failure. I mean, we're going back to USC this is not a guy who looked like he knew what he was doing. Okay. And, and if you're, if, if, if you're kind of a raw guy and, and like you relate to it or, um, or in his case, you know, the, the excuse was the excuse was because of what he went through medically, um, you know, and, and that sort of, and so, and so the, the excuse was that, but he's kind of contradicting that excuse. You know, he's contradicting that excuse by talking up his own book about how how incredibly dedicated he is to the nuance of the game and, and you know, has been and, and stuff like that. And when you watch him play, you're like, I sure as hell don't see it. You know, I, I sure as hell don't see that in your game. Um, very athletic. You know, he's a very athletic guy. He always has been. Um, but, you know, he's like he's he's Edward Scissorhands uh, with his uh, with his hand play. And and then he gets all crossed up and it's just like, come on, dude. Like, at least at least own it. At least own up to it. Uh, Simon, your thoughts on Austin Jackson? Is he going to make it or is it done for him? Because if he doesn't win that right tackle job, he's out of here in an, in an offseason. They're not paying a backup offensive lineman first round money yeah but don't forget he's not being paid a lot of first round money he's still on a no. contract so yeah i think he's a valuable backup who can play three spots so i don't think he's gone at all he's 22 Alf. you know they you can't he's a baby yes there's loads to do yes he will be valuable it will be valuable him being around terrell armstead yes it will be valuable him having a new coach yes the system suits his ability to move and hit on the move. Um, but I, I don't think they'll get rid of him. I, it just makes no sense to get rid of him. Uh, now, one guy that they did meet with, and Simon, I want you to chime in on this one first, is Zach Tom of Wake Forest. Uh, Lance Zerline basically says that we want him, we can have him, because he has him rated as a day three prospect. Uh, your thoughts on him? Because he played left tackle last year. He's listed as a center. Yeah, I think for- he played all five positions. You know, I think he... Bags of experience out of left tackle in there. Uh, you know, the Demon Deacons, the Wake Forest player, wide zone, RPO attack, which I think there's a team in the NFL that plays that, and I just can't put my finger <laughs> on who they are. Yeah. Um, you know, he's shorter than you'd like in terms of size, arm length, um, which is, I think, a reason why teams might not put him out of left tackle. But you go and look at how he played against Jermaine Johnson, who to me is one of the top 10 players in the draft of the FSU corner. Um, and he was really, really good. Um, he's an easy mover. He's got great feet. He's got good hands, short area explosion. Um, I mean, he played 3,107 snaps, you know, and three penalties in four seasons in 3,107 awesome. snaps. 
you know, he is, uh, he's a technician, he's balanced, he can direct and redirect his hands, he plays with leverage, he'll snatch you, good base, yeah, he can add some functional play strength, uh, he might get overpowered a bit by bigger nose tackles when he kicks back inside, but the ability to change direction as well as he does just isn't normal for a guy that's six foot, 304 pounds, um, which is obviously why I think as a wide zone centre, it just makes a world of sense. He's also a real big brain, hugely intelligent, um, has an answer to every question that you pose, both from a mental and a physical standpoint. Um, you know, standout shot putter, uh, brother, obviously Cameron Tom, who plays for the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, bright guy, like I said, both parents are professors at LSU. Um, uh, pound for pound, he's one of my favourite players in the class. Actually, he's the sort of guy, and we've talked about this before, but he's the sort of guy that the Green Bay Packers turn into Josh Sitton or Corey Lindsley or TJ Lang or Chad Clifton or you know, Darren College or one of those guys, the Marshall Newhouse. Do you know what I mean? He's one of those guys that ends up playing 10 years and people are like, wow, how does Zach Tom slip to the 111th pick or the 78th pick or whatever? Do you know what I mean? It's just mm. one of those guys. Well, it looks like uh, if they want him, they can have him. If Lance Zerline is correct, uh, do you agree with Lance Zerline? Uh, no. I think, well, Chris, okay, go. Yeah, no, I think Chris doesn't agree. I think he might fall into that area, but I suspect it's difficult because like Chris will make a very good point in a minute about the opposite of what I'm going to say. Sometimes I think when you are that versatile, it certainly helps you, but it can also hinder you because teams aren't really sure where to play you in the end. And you're kind of like, Oh, well maybe we should play him at left tackle, but we've got a left tackle here, but well, maybe he's a center, but we'll maybe play him at guard, but it's maybe not a strong suit. And, you know, maybe he falls because of that. Chris will give the argument that actually that, that is an absolute plus. And, you know, to, to, to all intents and purposes, he, he's probably right. But I, 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 to me, he falls, you know, if he goes at 75, I wouldn't be surprised if he went at 115, I wouldn't be surprised. So, you know, and if he's going at 115, you're getting an absolute bargain. Uh, Chris, obviously you disagree. Yeah, I just disagree because I think, you know, we see it We see it with guys like this um, that with their athleticism, when they knock it out of the park the way that he did, um, you, they go higher than a lot of people think. And and when, when a guy ends up being, you know, essentially everybody's favorite value pick, well, there's a reason for that because he's not actually going to make it to the value portions of the draft. Um, you know, everybody loves him. Uh, and and so I think that just, just on that fact alone, you know, you, you look at it and you say, okay, this is, this is ex- the exact kind of guy that pushes up into the second round and surprises a few people, but then, you know, the people that are surprised are also the people that were salivating over taking him in the third round, you know, like, so that's, that's, that's the situation that I see with Zach Tom, but let me just, let me, well, first off looking at him tape, I do see a little bit of Sadiq Charles in him, um, you know, on, on tape and looking at him play. And, and I think that that's, I'm, that's not, and so I think Sadiq Charles is going to be a good NFL player, but, um, but looking at him, let's the other player that I see, it's, it's really, it's really odd, but you know, when I watch him play, the other player that I see is Teron Armstead, <laughs> me, wow. who the Dolphins, who the Dolphins already have. Now, now hear me out on this one. Uh, we talk about, you know, is, is he, is he too short? Is he too short? Does he have the build for it? Uh, Teron Armstead was 6046 and 306 pounds when he came out. Okay. Zach Tom is 6042 and 307 pounds. So he's only half an inch shorter. 
He's half an inch shorter than Teron Armstead. Teron Armstead, like you think, okay, but, but he's got the uh, he's got the you know the um, the wingspan, you know, the frame and, and, and such. Well, well, you know, Teron Armstead's wingspan was eighty-one and a half inches, and uh, and Zach Tom's wingspan is eighty and a half inches. I mean, we're talking one inch of difference. That's not a lot. Um, you know, we're talking about ten and a half inch hands. Ten and a half inch hands was as big actually for an offensive lineman. Uh, you know, Teron Armstead only was about nine inch hands. But um, if you look at the, uh, there's obviously the, bi- the big discrepancy that you're going to see is that Teron Armstead still has the record, I believe for uh, fastest 40 time among uh, amongst tackles. I think, you know, he, he ran a four, seven, one electronic four sixty five handheld. Uh, Zach Tom was four ninety four, four ninety five, somewhere around there. But at the same time, you look at, you know, vertical, the vertical, we're talking 33 inch, 34 inch, um, one of the other one versus the other. We're talking, you know, a, a bigger broad jump, nine foot ten versus Teron Armstead's nine foot four. Um, you know, better shuttle time than Teron Armstead by a long shot, uh, better dr- cone drill than uh, Teron Armstead by a long shot. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's almost as uh, the same frame as uh, as um, Teron Armstead, arguably all around more athletic and then oh by the way when you go and watch his tape and you go and grade him out against these pass rushers it wasn't just Jermaine Johnson that he did really well against he was an elite level pass protector um and so I I look at the the overall picture and I say okay why is that going tell tell me again why that's going to like you know like 102 and and the point that Simon made you know I get I get the um you've moved around so many positions so many people are going to Someone's going to see one thing, another person's going to see another, and another person's going to see another, and none of them are going to see elite at their respective, you know, where they've got you pegged. But I just tend to differ on that because I I think that when you know listening to enough NFL coaches speak about how much they value versatility in in their offensive linemen, how much they value it, um, it's I I don't think we should turn a plus into a minus, like personally. Um, that that's, or at least that's my, uh, my, my gut instinct when I'm, when I'm looking at the, the fact that he is versatile, can play all five positions. Uh, I don't want to turn a plus into a minus. I want it to keep a plus into a plus because that it is a plus to me. Uh, so uh, this is, this is the kind of guy that goes in round two. He might, he might not have, because he doesn't have the ideal frame, you know, and, and he, it might be pretty close to Teron Armstead, but even Teron Armstead, and we have to admit coming out, did not have the ideal frame. Um, and I think that that's, you know, he was he was graded as a, essentially a, a round two prospect himself. Teron Armstead was, we should keep in mind. Um, you know, because of that, I don't think he's he's going any higher than round two, Zach Thomas. But, um, but I, I do think that if the Dolphins wanted to get him, then this is a guy that they've got to package up probably picks 102 and 125 together, plus the third rounder that they just got from Devonte Parker mm. uh, to get into the bottom of the second round and then get him, and then, and then say, you know, Hey, this is a guy that's intelligent. That is, a, that is Uber athletic. That is um, that has a pretty good, not necessarily great frame. Uh, and that, um, and that is an elite level pass protector. Uh, and also by the way, perfect scheme fit and and he can play multiple positions and um and you know all of these are big pluses and 
you know, the Dolphins might say, hey, we're just going to take Zach Tom and that's all we're going to walk away from with really from the entire weekend that's worth talking about. Um, and so but if they do I mean, that, if they do that, he has to be the right tackle, right? Uh, no, not necessarily because you he, play him at he, center? Could, he could play, he could play at center. I mean, he, it, it, it is such an important, it's an important enough position from a, um, from a intellectual, I guess, an intangible, intangible standpoint, um, that it wouldn't surprise me if they do steer toward Michael Dieter as the center, um, because he's got, he's got, you know, um, he's got more skins up. Uh, I, I think that, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they did have him play center in place of Michael Dieter, because I think that he's, you know, kind of a borderline elite level uh, uh, center prospect. You can certainly argue from, from an athletic standpoint, um, but the need might be, might take them to right tackle first. Um, and so, or, or right guard really first uh, where, whereas um, you got Robert Hunt uh, can switch over to right tackle at least temporarily. So uh, just to get the, just to get the experience under his belt, because they prize the intangibles and the intellect so much at that center position wouldn't surprise me if, um, if Dieter's going ahead and playing there first uh, or at first year, but um, it could, it could work at, it could work at three spots being, you know, particularly honest. And I think that they'll view that like as a positive. All right, Simon, before I have, I have you handicap one or two and one twenty five as far as offensive linemen go. Um, Lance Zerline is not a fan of a guy that I know you are a fan of Abraham Lucas. I don't know enough about him. He played at Washington state uh, defend your man. Cause he completely eviscerates him on his latest uh, I guess what you could call his draft guide because he does have notes on Abraham Lucas, but he has him as a day three guy. You said there's no way on earth he makes it out of the second round. Defend your man. I mean, there's nothing to defend, just turn the tape on. I mean, you listen to Mike Garofolo today. You know, he's going, he's got 12 visits, six private workouts, uh, and Garofolo says he's hearing that he's, he's getting into the back end of round one. I mean, wow, he's a day one NFL ready right tackle. Um, he, he's a four-year starter. Um, he's one of the safest picks in the draft. I mean, he produces and absorbs force as well as anybody in the draft. When he's got his hands on you, it is all over. He is all business. Somebody I trust, somebody whose opinion I trust hugely, Rob Stanton, who's a Seahawks, one of us, really. He and as much into the draft, and probably more so than all three of us put together. Uh, I mean, he and I were chatting about Lucas the other day, and he said, and I quote, has there been a better right tackle blocking in space since Tyron Smith? And, you know, Tyron Smith is a hell of a player. You know, he yeah. is an absolute pound-the-table guy. He didn't allow a sack or a pressure in 2021. He's rangy, he's bendy. Like, watch him against Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, he handles speed on an island. You know, you go back and watch him 2019. He was dominating. You watch him in 2020. He was dominating. You watch him in 2021. Like I just said, he didn't have a sack. You watched him at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he's a monster. You know, Terrence Metcalf called him an absolute monster. Stood next to him. I, I mean, I was stood above him in the bleachers. And he was, you know, standing next to Daniel Falele. And they looked like brothers. You know, he is such a big human being. Um, and people say, oh, well, you know, he played in Mike Leach's air raid. And therefore, you know wide splits, great distance for defenders to get to the quarterback. Well, you know, when Leach left, Nick Rolovich, they used tighter splits and he still dominated, you know, Drake Jackson and he dominated Kayvon Thibodeau and, you know, these guys that are going to go high in the draft. Uh, you know, oh, he can't run block. Really? Really? 
I mean, you're not watching the tape if you don't think he can run block. You know, he's physical, he's nasty, he collapses down the line, he gets his pads low, he can lock, he can turn, his legs move, he drives defenders out of lanes, he gets movement off the line, he grips and talks, uh, he's balanced, he can pull, he's easy mover. You know, he's just a fucking good player. I mean, he was All 260 right. when he got to Pullman. He gained 21 pounds in the first two weeks. Um, this is a he ran a 430 short spark. He ran a 430 short shuttle at Spark. I mean, he's six foot seven, 322 pounds. He runs a 430 short shuttle. You know, uh, I thought he was absolutely superb at the, at the senior bowl. Uh, All right, before I have you handicap 102 and 125 as far as the offensive line goes. Your thoughts on one prospect that I really do like, and I think, uh, well, he's played everywhere on the offensive line, but you know he's a convert. He's gonna he's not gonna play tackle in the pros. He's gonna play guard. Uh, Zach Thomas, great name by the way. Actually, spells that exactly like the real Zach Thomas, the future Hall of Famer. Zach Thomas spells it out of San Diego State. Your thoughts of him as a fit? Because he's as far as a fit. If I had to find a guy besides the obvious ones, you know, like later on in the draft. Like that guy's tailor made to play for Mike McDaniel. Zach Thomas, your thoughts on him? Um, I don't love him. I've got to say, um, I mean, he's just three hundred pounds, big hands, um, strong. Um, I think he's definitely a guard. Um, he's a good move blocker. I think. I think he uh, he needs to add some functional strength. I think he's a kind of late round free agent type. Um, he's got good feet. I think I like the way he, that he brings his hips through contact, um, which he does well on the move, but I don't think he's explosive. I don't think he's got great hands. I don't think he can reset his hands particularly well. I think there are times when I watched him on tape and he gets a bit too far out over his skis and he's bending at the waist, which makes him, um, makes him unbalanced and gets him out of position. So I'm not a, um, I'm not a fan. I mean, I don't have a draftable grade on him. I've got to say so. Okay. Sorry. Dude. What about, I, I wanted to ask you actually about, um, you know, just because, okay, we're talking about one Oh two, one one twenty five. This is we're beyond even the top 100 in the draft. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the really good players are gone. Yep. I mean, they're, they're gone. That's, that's the way it is. Um, someone we don't like. And we've talked about him before. Oh, I know what you're going to say, Nicholas Petty Frere. That's exactly right. That's exactly it. What if what if he is what if he's sitting there at 102, 125 in that area? I mean, clearly, the guys that we are likely to like are going to be gone. I mean, um, he is Austin Jackson 2.0, right? Right. I mean, that's 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 what I that's what I see as well. But uh, you know, Austin Jackson was a, a first round pick for us. We're talking 102 or 125. Sure. I mean, so what you're getting is a six foot five, 308 ball of athletically gifted and versatile, um, you know, kid who played at Ohio State. So he played at a good level. He is phenomenally inconsistent. I mean, you watch his final collegiate performance against Michigan. It was a a disaster. Uh, And of course, I don't think any player should obviously be judged by one game alone. But... You know, he got abused by Aiden Hutchinson. He got abused by David Jarbo. He was making Michigan backup Taylor Upshaw look like a first rounder. He was whiffing with his punches. He was falling forward. He was bending at the waist. He was completely out of the rep. The Penn State game, the exact same thing. You know, he struggles with quick movement skills. He struggles with twitch. Jarbo and um, Arnold, uh, 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 I can't even pronounce his second name, um, Ekabute, 
completely gave him fits. Uh, he is unable to position himself quickly enough to seal off the edge. I think he is, you know, he can look gifted in pass pro with quicks and good feet and lateral movement at a good base and decent hands, but you just don't see it. It's like Rashid Walker at Penn State. He's just so inconsistent. Um, and I'm, I'm just tired of drafting inconsistent players like this. I'd rather just, you know, yeah, he could turn into something, but I, I don't think he will. Um, I think he is... Uh, you know, I, I think he'll get abused both sides. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I, to me, he's not a, a very good player. Do you All think right. uh, Kellen Deitch could fall? Yeah, to, definitely. To our range? Definitely do. Definitely do. I like I, I like Deitch a lot. Actually, I think he's he's one of those guys. I think that um, I don't know what you guys think, but I always think that like the West Coast guys, especially sort of linemen and things like that, kind of get less publicity because people are generally asleep on the East Coast. When mm-hmm. the the you know Arizona States and UCLA's and yeah, all those games start at ten thirty at night, so you tend yeah, to I never mean, watch them play. I mean, I sometimes get up early on a Sunday morning, and there's still Pac-12 games that are still playing, at like you know three a.m. US time or whatever, or two a.m. US time on the on the East Coast, and like seven a.m. in the UK. I like him. I think you know he's Texas A&M guy. Um, who transferred over. I think he's, uh, and I know this because I've spoken to two West Coast area scouts who both say he's the best left tackle at, or the best offensive lineman prospect at Arizona State since Levi Jones 20 years ago. I, I thought he should have gone to the senior bowl, actually, but I think he's athletic. He plays well in his own scheme. I think he can move laterally really well. He um, 11 pressures during his career, according to PFF. Um, his arm length, I, you know, 32 inches. He reminds me of like a poor man's Eric Fisher, actually, or not even that mm. poor man, um, Eric Fisher. Um, but yeah, I like him a lot. There's another guy, I don't know if you've either of you seen him, Abina Eze of TCU. Mm. Um, he's a guy I think is really interesting. Um, the other guy who's ridiculously talented, but I just don't think he's ever going to put it together because mentally I think he's it's a struggle is Dare Rosenthal, the Kentucky kid who was at LSU. He's a five-star mm kid he was the number one defensive tackle in uh louisiana committed to auburn um then was suspended by lsu due to a violation of team rules and had previously and subsequently violated team rules and then was kicked off the team ended up at kentucky played really well but he's i mean he is a really really good player i mean this is a proper this is a proper left tackle i mean he's straight up and down physically six seven two ninety six um yeah, people talk about Tyler Smith, the, the kid at Tulsa. I mean, uh, as being a first-rounder. Rosenthal is a significantly better player. Um, mm. But it's just whether or not he can put it together mentally. But I, I think there's some I think there's some interesting guys. You know, even day late day two, early day three guys. You look at like Braxton Jones at Southern Utah, the kid Spencer Burford, who played at the Senior Bowl, the, the UTSA kid. I thought he was he's a nice player. Some people like Max Mitchell, the Louisiana kid. Um you know, obviously Rashid Walker, who was at Penn State. There's a kid at Illinois, Vidarian Lowe, you know, 50 plus starts at left tackle, could play right tackle. He's got some draftable traits. Um, Myron Cunningham at Arkansas, who played left tackle, who's uh, he's long and um, physical. And um, yeah, I mean, there's some, um, there's some interesting talent out there. Uh, no shot, Cole Strange makes it to 102. Thing is, where are you going to play him? I mean, he's a Center. left guard. Are I, you? I, yeah, I play him over. I play him over Dieter. I, I think he can play. He doesn't play center. That's the thing. Like, you're, but he's you're, played it before. He's played it before, well, and well, in interviews, he's in interviews he said 
that he's willing to do it and he's practiced at it. Sure, he's practiced at it, but he's, you know, you're you're taking a small school guy from UT Chattanooga um, and you're saying, go and play a position, go and play like two levels higher than you're supposed to in playing. Oh, and go and play a new position. Yeah, I saw him snap the ball at the, at the senior bowl and he he was, you know, he can do it and he's got a little bit of experience there. But, you know, this is a guy who's started for the last two years at left guard. You know, he's a he's he's Quinn Minots. You know, he played really well at the senior bowl. He's just kind of an old school guy. He's a, you know, he's quick. He's got quick hands. He's nasty, uh, you know. But I, I just don't think you can expect a guy that was at UT Chattanooga, hasn't played center for two years, to suddenly go and be a day one start in the NFL because he's a left no. guard. And especially not in this system to me to me and not in this system because they they value they value so much the veteran um wherewithal i guess Um, he's a scrapper as well not a mover like mm -hmm. he can move but he's not do you know what i mean he's that Mm -hmm. um he's agile he can pull uh you know he can turn his hips and wall off defenders but you know i think power teams are going to see him or at least a kind of a mix of the two rather than just be a pure outside so it's a lot to ask a cent a guard from a small school to move to a wide zone blocking scheme center and take over the responsibilities that you're going to have to pull off i mean we talk about west coast donovan um the the kid at arizona state who plays alongside kellen deets donovan west at arizona state mm-hmm. he's an interesting guy he's a scheme fit you know he started for three years on that offensive line um you know, he's a good player. He's a really good mover, wrestler, grip strength, lower body strength, understands leverage, just the way he like used to move people around on the mat. He's got speed of feet on the you know reach blocks, can mirror in pass protection. You know, I think there's some really good pure centers, you know, to, after Linderbaum, but you've got Dylan Parham at, at Missouri. You've got Zach Tommy we've talked about. You've got West, you've got Luke Fortner in Kentucky, Cam Jurgens at Nebraska, who's got to be in that kind of area. Sam Girak at Northwestern, you know, I'm not a fan of Alec Lindstrom necessarily, but obviously, you know, our new offensive line coach is the, was his position coach at Boston college. You know, his brother, Chris Mm. Lindstrom was the first round pick of the Falcons. You know, he was a finalist in the Remington trophy. He, you know, this is a, you know, if any team is going to, yeah, we have got the inside scoop on whether or not Alec Lindstrom can play, you know, Doug Kramer at Illinois, four year star is a guy who can, you know, going to find a home in a zone heavy scheme on day three so nick ford at utah there's there's a lot of centers out there i just don't think you can take a kid and move him to center given that he played at ut chattanooga yeah i, I think uh, you got to get together with lance Zerline and have like a coffee or something because you guys i think will come out i think you guys have a fist fight because he absolutely loves cole strange oh, no, could... don't, don't get me wrong i think he's a really good player he actually he's... his comparison is jc treader yeah i don't i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he he does give great interview i don't know if you've seen cole yeah, strange uh, online uh like he's a talker yeah and he gave interviews at the senior bowl in terms of team interviews were extremely good apparently um mm-hmm. I, i've got nothing against him as a player i think he's a tremendous left guard i just don't think he's a center all right and when we come back we'll have defensive linemen and linebackers but first these words. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. 
pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. All right, Chris is not here, by the way, because he's preparing for his uh, his trip to Las Vegas, of which I am also going to be on. So he's not here, but we do have Simon here. And Simon has done it once again. His draft guide is out right now. You can get it. Tell the people how they can get this draft guide because I'm perusing it right now. And I tend to agree with a few of your rankings. Cool. Uh, well, if you go to, uh, there's a link at read optional, or one word, read optional, like in the read option play, read optional.substack.com forward slash P forward slash draft guide. That is where you will, um, that's where you can find it. In fact, you don't even need to have the P in. You can just read optional.substack.com forward slash draft guide. Or you can go to my Twitter at Cyclancy or at Gridiron or at the re, uh, at Read Optional, which is where you'll find it. And essentially, it's seven dollars, um, and you subscribe to a Read Optional, which you can unsubscribe as whatever you like. But it just gives you access to the to all the Read Optional uh, written work that Ollie Connolly does, which is amazing, and also the the draft guide. Um, but you can download the draft guide and then unsubscribe to the Read Optional. It's just a kind of option for people that want to stay on and kind of have good readings. Uh, so yeah that's where you get it yeah and, and and i'm pretty sure that you will log on to the three yards per carry twitter account and put an ad on there as well right absolutely absolutely i shall yeah and i'm looking through this thing and just like last year it's colorful it's succinct like uh you get uh i don't know how to how to call this but i guess it's the skinny it's basically the straight uh the straight scoop on a player then you have like a deep dive. Then you talk about off the field issues, or if not, or if he's you know actually a, a Boy Scout. Uh, but it's pretty thorough. It's as thorough a draft guide as I've ever seen. And I used to buy Mel Kuypers for the better part of twenty years. So this is a very good looking thing. It's one hundred and twenty three pages by my Adobe. I don't know if it, how many it comes out to other. It was one hundred twenty three thousand words. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's an, it's a great, it's a great guide. Like just get it, uh, do what I do also, you know, I go and I have it printed out, you know, so I could have it handy and the draft guide too. I will have the, that in Las Vegas. So I'll be, that'll be my, my cheat sheet. Okay. While I'm there for, for three days where I, I, and basically what all we're going to do is just watch the board. And then just wait for two picks that the Dolphins will or will not make on day two, late on day two. But yeah, as always, this show is brought to you by Manscaped. Use promo code 5RSN and get 20% off your entire order. All right, let's start with uh, defensive lineman. Interior or exterior? Uh, let's go exterior. Let's, let's, call, let's, let's go with some edge players. Uh, Simon, do you care to guess what's the surest thing in the NFL draft going on? How many years is this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. What's the surest thing in the NFL draft? 
Uh, defensive lineman will go in the top three, top ten. I don't know. Well, that didn't happen this past year because Jalen Phillips went a little later. Yeah. But the surest thing is if you take the first edge player in the NFL draft, you have yourself a Pro Bowl performer, although we don't know about Jalen Phillips. But you pretty much have yourself a very, very good player for a very long time. Uh, let's start in 2013 where Deion Jordan got taken third. Okay, let's pass 2013. Let's start in 2014, Jadavian Clowney. 15, Leonard Williams. 16, Joey Boza. 17, Miles Garrett. 18, Bradley Chubb. 19, Nick Bosa. Uh, 20 is Chase Young, and last year was Jalen Phillips. That's a pretty good run at the top of the of the edge draft list, which begs the question, who do you have as number one, and does he belong in this group? Um, Aiden Hutchinson, just about. Um, you know, you're going to get a high-floor prospect. I think, um, yeah, he reminds me of Justin Smith a little bit, the old 49ers and Bengals mm. player, a little bit lighter, although I thought he played heavier than he weighed at the Combine. Um, you know, he is not going to necessarily beat you running the arc every snap. He's not the quickest off a snap, but he is a athletic, hardworking, inside-outside guy, can play the run, he ticks a lot of boxes, he has a pass-rush plan, he gives you 60 minutes of complete all-out effort. Um, he's just a really good player. You know, he can, uh, you know, he converts speed to power, um, he'll chop hands away, he'll knife through using dips or rips or swims or push-pulls. He can control the tempo of his rush. You know, he won't offer you the same menu twice in terms of what he delivers. Um, you know, he's not going to run the arc down one, run the arc down two. He will cut inside. He will counter. He will, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, so you're going to in 60 minutes of a tough time. Um, and he just doesn't take a playoff. Uh, great kid off the field as well. Um, so, yeah, a real sort of mature, intelligent, high character team captain. Yeah, and highly productive. 14 sacks yeah. last, last yeah. season. And 16 and a half tackle for losses. Uh, all of that absolutely checks out. And when we move off of him, uh, next-gen stats is quickly becoming one of my favorite things to peruse because if they're anything but definitive, and I guess hot takey would be the, the word because they have takes. They consider only Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau as the only two first-round edge players or the only two players that are worthy of being taken in the first round. I don't know what Trayvon Walker did to them, but your thoughts on the Georgia edge player, and is he the best in that in that group of Georgia defenders? I think it's such an interesting question about the Georgia defenders because you look at them across the line. You've got you know Trayvon Walker, you've got Jordan Davis, you've got Devonta Wyatt, you've got Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, Nakobe Dean at the second level, you've got Lewis Sign, Darion Kendrick, um, next year, you'll have Keely Ringo, who'll be a high first-round pick. So which of those players benefited most out of the other brilliant players around them? And it's a really interesting question to answer. I don't think it was Walker, because I think he's probably got the highest ceiling, potentially, of any player in the draft. Like Again, he's not going to be this kind of guy who will end up with 15, 20 sacks a season. But he's got this combo platter of speed and versatility and power. Um, that is kind of second to none. I just highlight a play against Alabama. He takes on um, this combo block of Evan Neal, who's a top five pick, top eight pick, and Cameron Latu, the tight end, who will be a, a, you know one of the higher rated tight ends next year in the draft. Stuns the pair at the line of scrimmage, locks out Neal with one arm, long right arm, holds him, rips away, 
shoves, essentially shoves Neil, you know, almost to the floor, avoids Latu by shoving past him and then takes down Brian Robinson, a 227-pound running back with one arm. I mean, he is a, you know, incredibly athletic. And I, and I never fall in love with guys who are just good testers. But fastest ever 40 for an edge rusher over 270 pounds, the 11th best broad jump of an edge rusher of all time, the fourth best three cone. But it's not workout warrior stuff because his, his performances show up again and again on tape, whether that's physicality against the run, whether it's playing inside, outside, whether it's, you know, you see him against Florida dropping back into coverage, almost making an interception, um, you know, looking like a 230-pound linebacker. So he is uh, comes from a, a Marine family. His father served in Operation Desert Storm, so he's very smart. He was well brought up. He's kind of just that freak of nature athletically. Um, and I think he can do a number of things as just this versatile, you know, you look at his art, his, his strength, his understanding of leverage, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, he's got heavy hands. Um, I really like him. I think he's a really interesting player. And what do you make of, you know, and not to harp on next-gen stats, but that's a pretty definitive statement to say that only two guys are worthy of a first-round pick. You obviously disagree because I've, yeah, I mean, I've been reading through your draft guide and you like about four guys, I would say. Am I right? Four guys to go in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I think Davis will go in the first round. I think um, Tyndall will go. I, I think uh, Nakobe Dean will go in the first round. I think Lewis Simon will probably go in the first round and Walker will go in the first round. So, and then you look at, you know, you look at Quay Walker, linebacker, Channing Tindall. These are solid day two picks. Darian Kendrick had run faster than a 475 at, the, at his pro day. He would have gone in, a, you know, probably gone on day two as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of good players on that Georgia defense. And All they're just right. good players for good players' sake, you know. It doesn't have to always, there doesn't always have to be a kind of a, you know, well, who's the, it, maybe it's just a collection of really good footballers and that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's uh, that first name that I mentioned when I rattled off all those names in a row that have been, like, successes. It, it kind of sucks, though, that the Dolphins are the only one that don't have a success in the last 20, last 10 years, taking uh, the first edge player in Deion Jordan, although he's still playing. Like, yeah. he, he's on a 49ers roster right now. But that takes us to Kayvon Thibodeau. Is it just unfortunate? We're just remembering other Oregon edge players that have not necessarily pan, panned out and he's getting saddled with that. Is he the real deal, or is there is there reason for concern or suspicion? I think there's a reason, a little bit of a reason for concern in that, you know, he plateaued a little bit. I felt in 2021, obviously there was an injury. He missed a couple of games with the ankle injury. He has got the best get off in the draft, or the second best get off actually in the draft. He's got great ability, quickness to get off the line of scrimmage. I wonder about his ability to bend completely. I don't think he's ultra flexible. Um, but uh, he's an incredibly confident, and I think so. He, you know, he's incredibly well read. He's very intelligent. He, um, when he went to Oregon, he wanted to find out what the plan was for a life outside football. He's interested in the media. He's interested in being a lawyer. He has, um, you know. He's a, a chess lover. He'll challenge strangers to games on Venice Beach. He has his own cryptocurrency. He worked with Phil Knight um, to set up an NFT whilst he was at Oregon in terms of work. So working with Nike, um, he worked with the guy who created Air Jordans and, and Phil Knight to, to set up this. He's got all sorts of things going on away from football that he is very interested in. Life, 
you know, and the NFL is scared of difference. The NFL is scared of change. The NFL doesn't want individuals. Peter King reported a couple of weeks ago that one GM who met with him in Indy said he found him to be a me guy. Um, and that may be that why his stock is taking a bit of a tumble. You know, he turned up at the combine, ran a 454-40, and then said he was tired and wanted to go home, which he just did. And that turned a few teams <laughs> off. Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, you know, he's got a modern edge body. You know, his arm length isn't ideal, but he's got that great explosion. He can drop off into coverage, although he doesn't look in- entirely comfortable. And there are games against, so against Washington State, against Abraham Lucas, where he's shut down. There are other games where he looks absolutely dominant. He's got good hands. I think he'll probably come in the league and have a fairly big impact. Um, but I don't think he'll be for everybody's taste because the NFL, like I said, just doesn't find difference, sexy, interesting, important. Um, so I can see why teams are a little bit worried. All right. And uh, moving off of... Thibodeau, uh, Jermaine Johnson is going to draw a lot of comparisons, basically because he's long and lean and he went to Florida State with Brian Burns. Um, where are the similarities? Where are they different? And what do you think of him as a prospect? Yeah, I love Jermaine Johnson, actually. You know, again, another Georgia player. So Georgia transfer had a great final season at FSU. I suppose the question would be, you know, what happened at Georgia? I think he's a pretty complete edge player, actually. He's a good pass rusher. You go and watch him against your guys, against Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, he gave Zion Nelson absolute fits. Uh, he spent to the other side and gave Jared Williams absolute fits. I think um, I think he sent Zion Nelson out of the first round. I think he, <laughs> kept, Zion Nelson, I think he kept Zion Nelson in school for another year. Um, <laughs> yes, I you know, tend to agree. Bowl, at the senior bowl, I watched him up close. He was working with Kelvin Shepard, the former Dolphins linebacker. He's now the linebacker coach of the Lions. He's just built differently. He's just so long. He's got such long arms. He, he obviously, if you watch Last Chance U, he was a um, he was a, in season three of Last Chance U. He's just very powerful. He's very fast. So he ran a 155-10 yard split at the combine, which is you know incredibly fast. Um, he great, gives great effort away from the ball. He will run past his own teammates to get to the footballer in terms of backside, running down players' backside. Um, yeah, I am. Um, I think he's a really, really good player. I think he'll end up going in the top 10 or 12. Um, and like 6'5", 254 pounds, can get to the quarterback, you know, can play the run. He's um, he's a nice player. Yeah, it check, he checks every every single box. Now, uh, Dolphin fans make this mistake, and I've seen it, and it's been repeated many a time in uh, on OnlyFans. Uh, they look at that pick, 102, and they look at pick at 125, and they think, okay, we, we package those, and we'll fill a need with those picks. I don't think that that's the way they're thinking about those two picks. And if they are, I think they're making a huge mistake. Mm. So I think like, you know, BPA it's, if there was a time to just take the BPA, the best player available at one or two or one twenty-five, or package those two to move up maybe 10 or 15 spots to get what you perceive to be the, the best player available. I think that's what you do with those two picks which brings us to the Dolphins and as far as edge players. As on the roster right now, they, they got to be pretty happy with Emmanuel Agba, Jalen Phillips. You got Andrew Van Ginkel bringing, bringing up the rear on, on both, both ends. And then you have possibly Melvin Ingram, who can sign. I'm told that they gave him an offer. We shall see if he signs before this, this thing airs or before the draft. But if you look at the roster, they can use a, devel- a, a developmental guy or a guy for the bottom of the roster on the edge, maybe insurance against Andrew Van Ginkle leaving in a year because he is a free agent and 
who knows, maybe he fires off a nice season and he's gone because they just can't pay him because you're going to have two pretty expensive edge players pretty soon. So your thoughts at 102 and 105 as far as an edge player for the Dolphins? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they signed a defensive end or an edge at, at, at that position. I know people are talking about offensive line and, and centres and those sorts of things. I, I, I think if you look at the players that they're bringing in on their 30 visits, it's 90% defence. It's a lot of defensive backs. It's a lot of pass rushers. Um, you know, they've brought in most recently, you look at guys like... Um, you look at guys like, uh, who's the kid at Western Kentucky? So D'Angelo Malone of Western mm. Kentucky, the former Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year. He played really well in the Senior Bowl. Dolphins have spent a lot of time with him. He's 6'4", 243. Um, high motor kid, well-liked, was on Bruce Feldman's 2021 and 2022 freak list. He's a bit of a kind of a Yannick and Gakwe, Bruce Irvin, kind of pass rushy sort of raw, but he's more versatile. Um, because I think he can play three, four outside linebacker, um, especially ones that use stand-up edges like we do, because he seems a perfect fit for that. He, he's a really easy mover in space. He'll drop off in coverage. He's very, very versatile. You look at his stat sheet, he's got sacks, tackles for losses, pressures, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, scoop and scores, block kicks, pass breakups, and interceptions to his name all at West, Western Kentucky. So, so he's one player that you look at. Dominique Robinson, again, hadn't seen any film of him at the Senior Bowl. By the end of the day, what, uh, the first day, I'd sort of marked my notepad with his name underlined, went back and watched him in the evening and was like, okay, you know, this was a kid that was making a lot of noise for Miami of Ohio. He was a former high school quarterback who then played three seasons as wide receiver, um, only switching to edge rusher in 2020, and then just played four games, obviously, in the COVID season. But he's got 84-inch wingspan. He's very fluid. He gave Bernard Ryman fits all day, every day. He's very explosive, 41-inch vertical at the combine. He's burst, he's bend, he's body control. Um, he's a very, very interesting player. Um, I mean, the, the guy I absolutely love in the draft that we don't talk about is actually bigger than those two. And I have him significantly highly rate, more highly rated than probably most people. And that's Nick Benito of, um, of Oklahoma, mm. who I, I absolutely love. Yeah, he's a stand-up outside linebacker in Oklahoma's uh, defense. Um, he's 6'3", he's 248, he ran a 454, he looked fantastic in drills. He has got the fastest first step in the draft. Of, of that, there is no doubt. He is so versatile, so disruptive. He's a burst, dip, bend guy. He understands angles. He has the flexibility to get to the quarterback by using those angles. He'll rush many from the high side, but he gets off the ball so quickly. He's spin, he'll stutter, he's really well balanced. He'll drop off in underneath in coverage. He'll play as a spy. He can hoover up scrambling quarterbacks. I, I just, I absolutely love him. I think he's just an athletic wonder. He's a four-star recruit. He's obsessed with football. And most of all, he is a Miami Dolphins fan. Nick Benito hmm. of Oklahoma, number 11, if you're watching any tape this evening or whatever, is such a good player. And I think he'll be a significantly better pro than he is a collegian. All right. Now I'm going to ask you about one player and we can move off of the edge players and defensive ends. Um, a guy who I, you know, I think fits the build as a, as a five, as a five tech is Zachary Carter of Florida. Your thoughts of him and your thoughts of him as at one Oh two or one twenty five. Will he be there? Is he being, am I overestimating his worth at one Oh two, one twenty five? And how do you like his fit? No, I think he's a, I think he's a really interesting player actually. And like the biggest, I suppose the biggest issue for me is that 
like he's a really great kid. Um, the biggest issue for me is that um, he's had some he's had some off field issues. He got he got ejected against Missouri. He ran onto the field, started throwing punches. He was suspended for a game, um, but he's kind of turned it around. He's now a member of the SEC community team. Um, I find him a really interesting. He's sort of, sort of defensive tackle slash defensive end hybrid. He's six four two eighty two. He is a mismatch outside, even for power power wise, certainly. Um, but then can kick back inside and use that strength as a five technique, or come in on sub packages inside where he, where he collapses the pocket. Long arms. Um, he's got the ability to get to the top of his rush and redirect. He can convert speed to power. He can uh, and therefore unbalance his man. You can you watch him on tape. He'll walk tackles back into the lap of the quarterback. Um, what he's done and what I really like is that he's gone back and looked at his life because he was a high four-star recruit. He's essentially turned his life around. He's changed his eating habits. He's got leaner. He's got faster. He's gone into the weight room to get stronger. And then he spent countless hours working with offensive linemen so that he can create more explosion at the snap, work on a more consistent pass rush plan to the point where there's not only nuance to how he attacks a tackle, but he's developed those third and fourth moves that a lot of players leaving college don't have. Um, Love the relentless nature to his game. I think he's good against the run. I'd like to see him shed a little better when he's engaged, but he's a, he's a good player. He's a good player. I like him a lot. All right. And I lied. I'm going to ask you about one more defensive end, uh, our quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, has a, a cousin in the draft. Went to Notre Dame. Myron Tungavaloa Amosa. Uh, your thoughts of him as a as a player? I would say UDFA or? Um, no, I, I, I suspect late day three guy. He might be an undrafted free agent. I'm just trying to find him, actually, because I think I'd probably put him in defensive tackles rather than uh, defensive ends. But I think – I suspect he gets drafted um, because he's like a high um, – He's a high uh, character kid. Uh, he's well regarded by by staff um, around Notre Dame. He is a kind of versatile, disruptive guy. He's just an irritant. Do you know what I mean? He's an irritating mm. high motor. So he's got these like three mantras: be high motor, maximum effort, get to the ball, and and that's what he did. He he played DT and three technique um, for his first four years uh, at Notre Dame, and then essentially played defensive end as a grad student. And so he can play inside, outside. He can leverage guards. He's got good mass. He's, what, 282 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a bit of a tweener, and he's probably maxed out a little bit physically. But he'll shoot the gap. He'll get off the ball quickly. You know, like we just talked about with Zachary Carter, what Tungavalo or Amosa lacks is those consistent secondary moves. And he doesn't really have the juice or the burst to get home. But there's a nice little package of skills here. You watch him against Pitt. He'll walk the guard back into Kenny Pickett. He uses the guard's body literally as like pins at a, at a bowling alley to knock Pickett down. He's got a bit of a spin move. He's got a nice swim. He's powerful with the bull rush. Um, you know, he's got hustle. He's also got injury issues. So, you know, he missed all of all but two games in 2018 with a broken foot and has missed games. Maybe it's a Tungavaloa trait, but he's missed games in each of 2019, 2020, two in 2021. But a team captain, almost joined the Navy. Just a really good kid. All right, moving off of edge players and defensive ends, we're going to move on to uh, the interior. Um, back to next-gen stats. They consider this the worst interior defensive line class in the last 16 years. Do you agree with that? They have only one guy worthy of a first-round grade, and that's Jordan Davis. They have three guys worthy of a first- or second-round grade, and Jordan Davis, DeMarvin Leal, Devonta White, and that's it, Wyatt, and that's it. 
Right. Uh, um, is it as bad a class as it looks on paper? I can't remember the last 16 drafts. I don't think it's that bad a class. I mean, I have Devonta Wyatt as the number one defensive tackle. Because okay. He's just got, he's just got great get off. He can know. play. He can play three downs, uh, unlike yeah, Jordan Davis. Uh, you agree yeah. with me, by the way. Jordan Davis is probably going to play two downs in the NFL. Well, I mean, that's the concern about Jordan Davis. Is that mm. you know the bigger question for him is he has no pass rush potential really whatsoever. Um, you know, and therefore, if his values as a two down disruptor, does that lessen his final draft spot? You know, he doesn't play third downs. You know, that, mm. he doesn't play third downs. I think he played. There's a stat, and I can't remember what it is, but he played 18% of third down snaps at Georgia. I mean, that's that's a hugely small number. Um, you know, he is, obviously, he's the physical freak who ran the ridiculous time. He's fairly unique as a sort of space-eating, run-snuffing, pocket disruptor. But I think scheme is going to have to be pretty critical for him. Is he a 4-3 defensive tackle? Is he a nose tackle in a, four, in a 34 front? He... I don't necessarily see him as a Vita Vea type who just soaks up double teams and stops running backs between the tackles. Do you know what I mean? I, mm. I feel like, you know, to get the best out of him, you also want to free him up and give him a bit of a free role to disrupt the pocket as a kind of agent of chaos um, as much as anything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, why isn't he on the field for third downs? He has three sacks the past two seasons, struggles to change direction, can't gather himself when he is redirected. He plays a little bit high. Um, Effort-wise, there's lots of examples. I can give you lots of examples of him playing with sort of minimal effort, which would worry me. You know, this is a kid who, you know, he hid in the high school bathroom stalls to avoid weightlifting and at Georgia considered abandoning <laughs> football altogether. So, you know, there are some, you know, there are some issues. Yeah, he's a physical freak. You know, he's a planet theory guy, as, as Bill Parcells would, would would argue. You know, only so many guys on the planet who are this, that size and that uniquely athletically gifted. But to me, Devontae Wyatt is a better player. You know, his all-round skill set, his ability to impact the game on all three downs. He wins because of his pass rush ability. You know, you can line him up at a zero, one, three, five technique. He'll spy the quarterback. He'll look like a twitched-up linebacker when he does it. He'll loop in a stunt. Um, you know, he's the sort of ball of versatile energy player that you have to account for in every snap. And I would just prefer that to a guy who's uniquely athletic but might not be on the field a lot of the time. All right. And the Dolphins have spent like the better part of the last uh, six days coming into this podcast, signing very uninspiring zero techs. Yeah. Uh, John Jenkins is back. Benito Jones is back, <laughs> which, you know, I, I never thought that I'd see him again. I don't think he's a very good player. John Jenkins is a good player. Probably He's just limited and, and older and probably beat up. Uh, it also stands to reason at 102, 125, you can find, and I'm looking at it right here, and there's several names on there. You could probably find a guy that can play 10 snaps a game as a zero yeah. tech with sure. pick 102 or 125. Uh, your thoughts on who those guys might be? Well, you look at like a big, if you're looking for those big guys, Neil Farrell at LSU, who, was, uh, who played really well at the Senior Bowl, I thought <clears throat> he is 6'3". He's 338 pounds. He's nasty to me. He's got some day two upside. Um, I think he's a really interesting player. But you look at those bigger guys. Jaden Peavy of Texas A&M is 6'5", 319 pounds. He's a really good special teams player as well. I think he blocked four field goals and PATs with with the Aggies. He's a kind of toolsy. You watch his game against Arkansas. It's absolutely outstanding. You know, you've got John Ridgeway at Arkansas is 327 pounds. For, you know, teams looking for a pure nose tackle, he'll, he'll have an absolute lot of value you know he's not gonna 
you know, you know he's not going to consistently collapse the pocket, but as a two down run stuffer, he plays with good technique, keeps his teammates clean, then you know that's an attractive proposition um, for anyone. You go down the list and look at you know Marquand McCall of Kentucky, just a mammoth human being at three hundred and forty six pounds. You know, absolute gap plugger, real heft in the run game. Um, but he's got a little bit of juice to press the pocket, you know, um, unlike some of the bigger guys. He can he can press the pocket just a little bit. And, you, you know, you go down the list, Chris Hinton at Michigan, 312. You know, Earl Booker at Stanford, 312. Um, Tyree Stevenson at, at Tulsa is 365 pounds, you know. Mm. He's, he's active. He's... He can't consistently get off blocks, but he's an oak at the point of attack. And that's kind of, you know, that's what you're looking for. Taylor Humphrey of Louisiana, another absolutely massive human being at 6'5", 349 pounds. He's played as a three technique and a two wide inside shade. You know, he's an interesting player. He brings some nasty with him, but he might be a, you know, might be a free agent, undrafted free agent kind of guy. He's had some off-field issues as well. But, you know, there's a lot of bigger guys in the draft. If you're just looking for somebody who can come in and play six, eight snaps a game. Do you know what I mean? Mm. All right. Uh, moving on to linebackers. Um, this is a pretty good class. And I, th- I think we both agree N'Kobe Dean is probably the class of this class. Yeah. Uh, there's size issues there. Is, um, let's just say, is he scheme-specific? Or can he play in, in more, more broader schemes in the NFL? Or is Nicobe Dean just, you know, he's going to have to play on a certain, in a certain system? I, I think it will be a concern at 5'11", 229 pounds. But, you know, if you can keep him clean, if you can keep climbing Lyman off him, um, then I think you'll, you'll be fine. So, you know, having one of those big space eaters in front of you is great. I, I think where Dean wins scheme specifically or unspecifically is that he's so quick he can get to landmarks quicker than other people can but you know if you have if you look at a jason kelsey or a you know some some of the really fast interior linemen who can get to a landmark then he will you know that's where he might struggle he's not unafraid to take on blocks you know you really like him but you want to make sure you really like him in that area but you want to make sure that for him to be truly successful you know he's covered up because you know for him to maximize that skill set Staying clean from climbing blockers at the second level is um, is critical for his for his success. But I just love you know he's got outstanding instincts. He's a phenomenal processor. He just seems a step ahead of everybody else, you know, all the time. And his film is just littered with plays of that ilk where he just uses his instincts and his his processing ability to get to to get to the ball, to get to a spot, to get to the to a throw, to get to the quarterback just ahead of you know anybody else um you know you look at him he lined up against he lined up against florida as a a man corner on the outside Mm. broke on the ball like a veteran cornerback and took it for took it for six to me he's absolutely safe as they come and i think he'll have a superior career in the nfl yeah now one guy that i I really liked and i did a lot of work on him and before we drafted tyreek hill at 29 which i think is a successful pick already uh i really loved demon clark at 29 He will not play in 2022. Uh, The comparisons for Jalen Smith have already come out. Uh, Dare I say at 102, he will be available and the Dolphins can just draft and stash. Would you, Um, is that something you would do? What do you think are his prospects in this year's draft? 
I think it's a very interesting question. I don't think we can have a definitive answer because we haven't seen the medical. So if mm. those that don't know, he turned up at the combine, was absolutely fine, but the medical checks discovered that he needed spinal fusion surgery because he had a herniated disc. Um, I thought ahead of the injury, he was one of the most under-the-radar players in the entire draft. I didn't think he played very well in 2020. I thought he was absolutely fantastic in 2021. He ticks a load of boxes. He is just a really good player he's not amazing in coverage um but i think he is a you know he's the leader of that defense he's all over his teammates in terms of getting lined up he moves so well laterally he attacks gaps going forwards he's got great eyes he's got great discipline when i say he's got great eyes that means he just reads the field really well he's mobile he takes on backs in pass protection he can get to the quarterback uh, like laterally i think he's the best in the class in terms of linebackers you, you play just make plays away from his away from um, from where he is. Um, I just don't know the answer to that question. You know, he could be on the board at... Yeah, he should be on the board when Miami come to pick first in at 102. But he could also be an undrafted free agent because it just depends on how that surgery mm. affects him. I, I, I suspect he'll... I suspect when push comes to shove, he'll probably fall into day three because of it. But also, if he was an undrafted free agent, I also wouldn't be shocked. I just, you just can't tell. But it feels like, you know, this is a kid who's mentored by Devin White. He is a, um, he's just scratching the surface of what he can become. He was a team captain. Um, he's loved at LSU. Uh, he's mature. He's got a two-year-old daughter. I just think he's a, a fascinating player and just a really good, really good linebacker. Yeah, although uh, you would disagree on the Jalen Smith comparisons because Jalen Smith, his issue was just, you know, his legs and his yeah, knee had... Spine is just such an issue, though, isn't it? Like, you just can never yeah. tell about spine. Yeah, like, you, you really can't, you know, and, and the evidence has been, you know, not that it's going to happen to Demon Clark, but usually the evidence is once you have what is a, a neck injury or any type of spinal injury that requires any kind of surgery, which it seems like Damon Clark is going to need fusion surgery. Uh, your career is pretty much short after that, if not over. So, yeah, as, as a UDFA, as as a seventh-round pick, maybe you draft them in the seventh round. If, you know, if, if the word is that it's not all great, a draft and stash is something maybe you, you can do. But, yeah, I don't think Jalen Smith, I don't think those are – correct comparisons Jalen Smith was just you know it's a knee issue and sure enough his ticking time bomb of a knee actually blew up this past year as his career seems to be over because he's not on a roster as of right now now everybody's trying to replace Alana Roberts and we've been trying to replace him for two years because you kind of want somebody to play alongside Jerome Baker that can probably play three downs and maybe interchangeable with Jerome Baker on certain defenses that Josh Boyer likes to play uh who are those guys at 102? Because I, I know there's one obvious one, but you tell me he's not going to make it to 102. That's Troy Anderson. Yeah, um, I, don't think, I don't think he will. Uh, so who can be those guys at 102 or maybe even 125? Um, I wonder how teams think about Brandon Smith, the Penn State linebacker. He's just 20, three down guy, but he's just inconsistent. And I suspect the inconsistent, inconsistency comes with age. Um, you know, he's only going to turn... I think he was 21 this week, actually, bizarrely. He's a 452-40 runner, um, and he's that fast on tape. Um, he just looks like he's falling off a cliff when he runs. You know, he's that he's that smooth a mover. He's that fast. Um, 
he didn't allow a coverage touchdown uh, over the last two seasons. He's very comfortable with a tight end or a back when he walks over to the slot and finds himself singled up. It's just the inconsistency. Um, and I think, you know, you'll probably see him as a sub-package cover backer earlier on. I mean, yeah. Yeah, this was the the number 12 overall prospect coming out. He was a Gatorade player of the year in Virginia. Um, you know, he he is a he's a very interesting prospect. But... Um, I think that consistency consistency issues that come with age might see him fall into Miami's area. Probably goes earlier. Anderson, I think, just the scuttlebutt seems to feel like he's going he's going significantly earlier. This is a kind of a, a defensive Taysom Hill. He, he's played running back at Montana State. He played a little linebacker. Then he was converted to quarterback for a season. Then he kicked back to defense. I mean, he had two and a half two thousand two hundred and sixty yards rushing, eleven hundred yard games on the ground. He ran a four forty two at the combine. He started for a season at quarterback. You know, he 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 kicked inside to to inside linebacker last year. Played outside the year before. He's toolsy. He's not overly instinctive, but he's incredibly athletic. Great tackler. Little inconsistent in finding the right gaps. Struggles to get off blocks a few times. Sort of lacks the juice in his hands of some of the class, and, and he relies a bit more on quicks and physicality. Obviously, can cover. Chad Moomer of Wyoming is mm. a guy you know who might fall into that area. He's six three. He's two thirty nine. He's big. He's tough. He's smart. He's athletic. He can run. Missed one tackle in 2021, so he's a really good, high-energy tackling machine. Yeah, yes. And by the way, he has freakish, freakish combine results. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit – he can be a bit over-aggressive, and it sort of takes – so over-pursue plays. He reminds me of Logan Wilson, the former Miami linebacker who now plays for the for the Bengals. I think he's an interesting guy. You know, there's a number of undersized guys. Like Jeremiah Gemmel of North Carolina has got the best eyes. He's the most instinctive guy in the, in, in the class. You know, and you look at Zach Thomas – when he was drafted by the Dolphins, he ran a four eighty seven forty, but he had a, you know, he, he had a one sixty seven ten yard split. So instinctive, great eyes. And I'm not obviously saying that Gemmel is, is Zach Thomas, but there's nobody in the class that has better eyes or is more instinctive than, than he does. You know, he's a little bit undersized at two twenty six, so that will probably, you know. But if you're looking for those bigger guys, there's a couple like people talking about Leo Chanel of of Wisconsin, a high motor kind of big body. I think he's probably a two down player in the pro, so I don't think he's very good in coverage. He's a bit stiff. A couple of guys I quite like, Aaron Hansford of Texas A&M, who uh, uh, came as a big body wide receiver, then switched to tight end, then moved to linebacker. He's had a couple of injuries, but he's smooth. He can really run. He's a good tackler. He moves well laterally, changes direction well. He's a very good blitzer. I think Hansford is an interesting player to keep an eye on as a four-star recruit. Um, so there's him. And then Darian Beavers, who's a UConn transfer, who played for Cincinnati. I'm not a huge fan, personally. But at 6'4", 252, he played well at the Senior Bowl uh, in reps against tight ends, played very well against Trey McBride and against um, the kid out of UCLA, uh, who I really like. I just felt on tape he was he was just a bit more clunky, a bit more inconsistent. But, you know, he it feels like he's getting a sort of late second round, uh, late second day, early third day grade. And that obviously falls into, into Miami's area. So, and then you've got kind of, you know, you're looking like a Micah McFadden of Indiana. You're looking at a Mike Rose of Iowa State. He's kind of two down tackling machines who, you know, could play a lot of special teams, but might not, you know, the Jack Sanborns of Wisconsin who might not break the lineup necessarily, but could offer some rotational ability. But I, I think, you know, Brandon Smith is definitely one to keep an eye on, as is um, as is Chad Moomer. And I, I, you know, like I said, the scuttlebutt makes it feel like Troy Anderson isn't going to get there. All right, those are edge players. Those are linebackers. Those are interior defensive linemen. Uh, when we come back, 
we will talk defensive backs, safeties, cornerbacks, maybe even punters. But first, a word from a sponsor. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric, and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561-408-7835. Water Cleanup of Florida. And we're back. Hello, Simon. Now we're talking defensive backs. I said, hello, Alf. <laughs> we'll start right here with a little bit of Dolphin talk. Do you share the optimism that most Dolphin fans, and it seems like coaches have, with Brandon Jones? Because if I had to bet, and I will, because I at the end of this show, uh, I guess we'll make some predictions. I'll make a bold one. Do you share their optimism with Brandon yeah, Jones yeah. that he's going to develop into what they want at the position? I think he's already what they want at the position in, in many ways. Because but he's so bad in coverage, Simon. Yeah, but that's not what he's really used for. Do you know what I mean? He's used to mm -hmm. press the line of scrimmage. He's used as an alley runner. He's used as a box linebacker, uh, big nickel, whatever you want to call it. He's one of the best blitzing defensive backs in the NFL across yeah. the board. Um, I don't think they need him in coverage. You've got Eric Rowe, you've got Xavier Howe. You know, when you can match up on the outside the way that Miami do, you know, with their two corners, when you can put Nick Needham in the slot, when you've got Javon Holland who can play all over but is great in coverage, you've got Eric Rowe who can match up on tight ends, the, you know, with the best tight ends in the league. You don't need Brandon Jones to be, you know, he doesn't need to be Ronnie Lott. What he needs to be is exactly what he is. I think... What I think is great for him is that the defensive scheme has stayed the same, that he's stayed the same coordinators, uh, because I think that that, um, that Josh, uh, Josh Boyer, what's our defensive coordinator's name? Josh, Josh Boyer. Boyer will, um, uh, knows how to use him. And I think using him is, is as an alley runner who can start from deep and can, can run down ball carriers to the outside, which he's very good at, or can funnel ball carriers back inside to linebackers or can just be around the line of scrimmage, be a menace, you know, knock receivers and tight ends and backs off their timing, can press the line of scrimmage in terms of his ability to blitz. You know, I think he's a very versatile player who can, who, you know, square pegs round holes is something we talk about all the time with the Dolphins never having done. I think if you put, I think if you put Brandon Jones in a, in a peg that he, in a hole that he isn't used to, then he will not be very good, but they found the perfect role for him. And I think, yeah, more power to him. All right. And uh, let's talk about one guy in, in, in specific. Uh, he's gotten a lot of bad press this, this run up to the draft. I have, I don't remember the last time there was this good a football player that had, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say he had a bad combine. He just didn't run very fast. 
and that's Kyle Hamilton. Um, he's a great player. I, I, I he's one of the better safeties that has come down the pike in in a long time. Your assessment of him as as a player, as compared to what's what's been around the last few years. Yeah, I don't agree that he didn't run well at the combine. He was he's six four, two hundred ninety pounds. He ran four fifty nine. I mean. I thought he yeah, ran but... at the combine. He ran four seventy four at the Notre Dame Pro Day, but who gives a fuck about that? Do you know what I mean? He's already mm. run at the combine, um, uh, and to me that leads to questions about, you know, I, I think it's a test case for not getting bogged down with what happens away from the field as it pertains to testing. You know, just just turn on the tape and w- watch what he does. You know, he's athletic. He's incredibly long. Center fielder. He's got great instincts. He's just one of the top three players in the draft, regardless of position. Obviously, he's coming off a knee injury. He's not an amazing tackler. He can be a mediocre tackler at times. But you just look what he does in terms of the amount of ground. You can play him as a single high free safety and he can get sideline to sideline. Yeah, you watch him against Florida State in 2020. He gets sideline to sideline as well. In fact, he, he covers three quarters of the field. He comes from the slot on the front side against Florida State and runs three quarters of the field to make a diving interception on the sideline. I, I you know, Against Boston College in 2020, he reads a short comeback way quicker than is humanly possible to be able to process and breaks on the ball only to drop the pick jumps in front of Zay Flowers will be a high pick next year drops the pick he's just got great recognition his game's just soaked with all the stuff that you you're looking for in a high level safety he can come down into the box he can run the alley uh I just you know but you just want to see him dictating play from deep because that skill set just allows defenses in front of him to do so much more because it's just what we do with John Holland you play him single high. You know that he can get around the field. He's patient. He's yeah. He's a high floor, high ceiling player who should develop into to one of the best in the league at his position. And, and he's grown up around football. Mm. You know, his his father worked for the Falcons, so he grew up around Bob Whitfield and Jamal Anderson and Chuck Smith and Terrence Mathis. And you know, he's been around football. He was third on Bruce Feldman's freak list. I mean, that, you know, that's some statement. He is a, he's a freak. I mean, his dad was a third round pick of the New Jersey Nets in the NBA. You know, he was a star in the Greek, ended up playing the Greek league. Hamilton was born in Greece. He grew up there. He lived in Russia. He lived in Italy when his dad was playing basketball. He moved to Atlanta when he was eight or nine years old. I mean, he was at LSU summer camps under Jimbo Fisher when he was eight years old. You know, this, that's how highly rated he was. He was three foot 10. He weighed 47 pounds. He ran an eight, two in the 40. That's not, I'm not even making those numbers up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, he's a wonderful player. All right. Uh, other guys that fit the bill as far as the first two days, uh, as far as safeties, because usually that many, not many go in the first two days. Uh, I believe last year was well, how many? Four. Yeah. One of them was Javon Holland, which was a hell of a pick. It's a strong safety class. I mean, you've got Hamilton at the top, but you've got Daxton Hill of Michigan, who's Devin McCourty for 2022. He's a lovely player. You know, archetypal modern-day secondary players. Fluid, he's sudden, he's athletic. He can play nickel corner. He can play safety. He can run the alley. He's a special team standout. He should be a first-round pick. Jaquan Brisker, uh, Penn State. Nobody attacks the line of scrimmage and offensive lineman like he does. He's a really good player. He can play centre fielder as well as uh, as well as in the box. Lewis Sign of of Georgia is just rangies, height, weight, speed, rangy, free safety, just tons of potential. Big hitter, urgent alley runner. Jalen Petrie at Baylor played really well. He's a bit of a Tyran Matthew sort of player, uh, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. These are all kind of guys who are going to go top 40, top 45 picks. I, I don't think Miami will be looking at a safety. I, I, I really don't. But if they were, Brian Cook of Cincinnati, mm. I think he's a really good player. Um, He's an alpha enforcer. I suspect he's going to be a second-day guy. Um, 
sort of mid-second day guy. But he's yeah, got, he flashed in every single game I watched him play. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's he had 370 snaps in the box. He had 291 at the third level and 196 in the slot last season. You know, he's comfortable in single high. He's comfortable in the slot. He's got decent hip turn. He's got great instincts. Uh, to me, he's just a really solid start. The guy that interests me that the Dolphins are bringing in this week, actually, is Nick Cross, the Maryland safety. He is a 4.34. He ran the fastest time of any safety. I think he's going to be scheme-specific. Um, I don't think you want him in cover situations or playing single high. I like how he plays in the, with the ball in front of him in zone, but he's a bit sticky in the hips to be matched up against, you know, twitchier outrunners. Um but I think he wins with the physicality and his ability to come down in the box from a split safety look and just knock the shit out of people because he's instinctive. He's got a good football IQ, but he comes down big and hard and flows to the football really, really well. I think for, for teams that are, I think teams will look at him as a late day two, early day three guy who are looking for that height, weight, speed guy at a strong safety um, because he's athletically, athletically gifted. Um, and when he hits the box, it's um, yeah, it's it can be lights out. Yeah, and uh, talking about one hundred two and one twenty five as far as safeties, um, I'm gonna bring up one guy. I think, and I've watched every single snap this kid's played at the University of Miami. Uh, Bubba Bolden just had a bad year. Uh, he's fast. He has size. He's always been an instinctual player. Always been around the ball. Has. Has a has a knack for finding the ball, but as an NFL player, I don't know what round you'd give him. But I think that he's hurt his stock with his play this final year at the University of Miami. Your thoughts on Bubba Bolden? Yeah, I just I don't like him as a player at all. Actually, um, I think his game's kind of littered with issues. He is really inconsistent. He doesn't have great ball skills. He reminds me of Taylor Mays. Remember when people used to talk mm-hmm. about Taylor Mays being yeah. And Taylor Mays couldn't take good angles. He missed tackles. He took bad angles in coverage. He took bad angles in the run game. And that, to me, is the heart of Bolden's problem. He triggers downhill, but he just misses angles. He'll consistently over-pursue. He doesn't have great eyes. He doesn't have great vision. As a single high safety when he was in Miami, you just saw receivers running wide open over the top all the time. There's mm-hmm. also some, you know, some off-field issues. I mean, let's, you know, let's not forget that he played a year at USC, but left because he was going to be suspended for two years after he was found in violation of eight sections of the USC student code. He was at a party essentially where he alleged to have made criminal and death threats to other party goers, including members of USC's women's volleyball team. Um, he's had injury issues. He, so he suffered a seizing ending ankle injury in 2019. He hurt his shoulder in 2021, missed the rest of the season. I, uh, I'm i not a Bubba Bolden fan, I've got to say. I think he's he's high cut and he hits hard, but um, and he's got great size, but I just I just don't see it. Yeah, he's, in, he's another in a long list of University of Miami safeties that have size and can run fast. Sheldrick yeah. Redwine, is, who's on the Dolphins roster right now, by the way, uh, is the same thing. You know, you know that 6'1", 210-pound, you know, 4'440 type guy. Uh, I think Bubba Bolden's just the latest in that group. I don't think – let's call it fifth round because somebody's going to look at 6'2", 215 pounds at 4'4", and say, okay, he can play for us. But, yeah, not for me, Clive, as you would say. Uh, I, I, one guy to keep an eye on would be Quentin Lake of UCLA. He's the son of Carnell Lake, um, the great all-pro Steelers safety. Yeah, um, number 37. He, yeah, he's just – 
a good player. He's solid. He can play in the slot. He's great in 1v1s. He's rangy on the back end. He's got good special teams ability. He's got instinct. He's got smooth hit, uh, smooth hips. He's got good eyes. He's got a great football brain. He's a solid tackler. He, this is just a guy who'll be a weapon on special teams. He'll be a plug-and-play player at free safety, at nickel corner, at strong safety, at dime linebacker. I I think Quentin Lake is a sort of Miami Dolphins type safety, if that's what they're looking for, in terms of just you look at the makeup of their of their safety room. He just fits the bill as, as somebody. The other guys, Reed Blankenship of Middle Tennessee State, is just a same school as Kevin Byard. The, the coach who coached Byard said that says that Blankenship is a better player than Byard was at the at the same time. Um, you know, 400 career special team snaps, 3,638 defensive snaps, 51 starts. He's the he is one of the rangiest safeties in the in the entire draft. You know, he will move forwards, backwards, sideways. He hustles. He's got great ball skills. He's got good instincts. He'll come down the alley and finish. Yep, lower level of competition is definitely a thing. But he was excellent at the Shrine practices. Um, he's a really interesting player as well. All right, and moving on uh, to cornerbacks. Uh, your draft guide is called uh, Gridiron 2022 Draft Guide. If I had a draft guide, I would call it Searching for a Keep to Leave because uh, every single year I bring them up because I remember <laughs> I remember the draft in 2008 where I loved a Keep to Leave. I thought he was the perfect cornerback prospect. He ended up going 20th overall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Since then, five Pro Bowls. Two All Pros, a Super Bowl champion. Uh, I guess that draft pick panned out. So every single year, I look for a keep to leave that long, lanky, sticky, good man corner. This year, we have one. He also has a great name, great nickname, because his name is Ahmad Ahmad Gardner, but they call him Sauce Sauce Gardner. Is he more a keep to leave, or are we talking about Greedy Williams again? Um. I think he's Greedy Williams again. Wow. Okay. Um, so I haven't always bought the hype with him. I didn't think he was very good. So I watched him in a lot of isolation over the summer of last year and was like, I don't really understand why people are talking. Like he got abused by Dylan Gabriel at UCF. He got abused by Calvin Austin at Memphis. Um, he is so handsy. He is so grabby that he could end up easily as a uh, as a penalty machine and look he's got it all he's got size he's got length he's athletic he's confident he's tenacious he's got loads of plus traits he didn't give up a t- didn't give up a touchdown in his career he didn't give up more than 13 yards to any receiver in 2021 but he does get a little flat-footed he does get a little grabby and that was that's what makes me nervous he's incredibly thin he's especially in the lower half he's he's rail thin you know but he don't get me wrong. He is a very, very good player. But there are times down the field where he finds it impossible to keep his hands off a, a receiver. He will arm bar receivers. He initiates contact time and again beyond five yards. And there's times when he just stops his feet moving. He falls behind in the rep. He gets unbalanced. And then he gets panicky. And he sort of fights to get back in the play. He's tugging. He's pulling. It's. Uh, I, I think better technique will absolutely help him. But people talking about him as going second overall, I just like, man, I just do not see that. Not in a really good cornerback class. I just... Uh, well, I here's a here's a, a, a little quiz section, and I guess I'm giving up the lead here. But do you know which is the most commonly mocked name to number four, the New York Jets? Yeah, well, I mean, they need corners, so... so yeah, yeah, it's Sauce Gardner. 
So that that got that makes you feel good as a Dolphin fan now. If this sure. is what you believe of Sauce Gardner, but you're playing in a division with, uh, you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Stephon Diggs and a you know high level passing attack in Buffalo and you know so it's not surprising the Jets need corners. But yeah, I mean you can only pick the players that are on the board. So but yeah. I, I think he's a guy, look, don't get me wrong. I think he's a really good classic press corner. He's got speed. He's physical. He can redirect really well. He uses hands in terms of that physicality better. But like in 2020, he rarely touched a receiver at the line at all, you know. Mm. Um, but the aggression just it feels to me like, you know, he could get penalized a lot. All right, and, and if we're talking, and you said that, you know, every time you looked up, you know, th- there was there was games where Ahmad Gardner was getting abused. Um, Derek Stanley has put more Alabama wide receivers in the first round than I don't know what. Maybe it's just the Alabama wide receivers that they're all pretty, pretty good. But his tape is littered with him getting absolutely smoked against Alabama. Um, your thoughts of him as a prospect? What's happened to him? Because he's been... I'm seeing him mocked in the top 10. So let's not say that, you know, he's done this precipitous drop. But in 2020, uh, about two years ago, uh, some of the first mocks that Mel Kuyper had, the two-year advance mocks, had him in the top three. So he hasn't dropped too much. I don't get it as a as a prospect. He's a fine cornerback. But top 10 for me, no. Your I think thoughts? You're buying, you're buying the 2019 tape. Yeah. You know, he looked a rock-solid top three pick after that freshman season. He should have won the Thorpe Award. I thought he was the best defensive player in college, for defensive back in college football. Um, there are talks about legendary 1v1 matchups with him and Jamal Chase. I think he's got some of the best feet I've seen in 20 years in terms of a cornerback. To me, he drips size, length, patience, footwork, explosion, ball skills, instincts. I'm not surprised that in 2020 he had a down year, given that he was 19 years old, came off a national championship season where he was the best corner in college football and had a bit of a sophomore slump. I don't, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think the issue for me is that he got injured last year um, and we really didn't see what he was. So you are buying, like I said, the 2019 tape, but you throw on that film, you see a physical guy, somebody who can redirect with his hands. He's balanced. The feet are brilliant. Like I said, he can crowd his man. He'll, He's subtle in how he works his man to the sideline, um, but he's inconsistent, you know, because of what's happened, because of the injury, the foot injury, um, which has become a thing. Um, you know, it's he's suffered a torn ligament, his left foot, only played three games. Um, yeah, it's you're buying the 2019 tape, but I think talent wise, he might be the most gifted player in the whole draft in terms of his pure athletic talent. All right, we gave the we gave our our listeners one spoiler alert, which is um, Aiden Hutchinson. Which I I don't think it was much of a spoiler. A lot of people think he's the best edge player in the draft. This one is a spoiler, and we'll give them just this one. Remember, buy the draft guide. I own it. Many own it on on OnlyFans. Just get it. You could tell the people again how to get it, Simon. After you. Tell us about your number one rated corner, Andrew yeah. Booth, because he's not mine. I'll give you mine afterwards. But tell us about your number one rated corner, Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. 
yeah, I just think this. Look, you talk about Clemson corners, and over the last few years, you thought about Clemson corners coming to the NFL, but that kind of narrative has begun to change. You look at AJ Terrell, become one of the best cornerbacks in the league, your top five corner in the league, really. Um, and it's not really fashionable to have anybody over Source Gardner, but I, I thought in multiple games over two seasons, there was just no reason for me not to have him as the number one guy. You know, he is raw. 15 starts, 981 defensive snaps in three seasons. There have been some mental lapses and some focus issues, but he's got everything you look for in a number one corner. He's scheme diverse. He plays zone. He'll play man. He's physical. He's athletic. He's got great feet. He's balanced. He's an excellent tackler. You know, he, he will mirror. He can sit in the hip pocket. He can flip his hips and run. He can sit in trail. Um, he's got great short area quickness and he attacks the ball as well as JC Jackson or an Xavier Howard in terms of in terms of making interceptions. He's just got tremendous leaping ability. He's got great speed both in the early strides but also down the field. Um, I, I think he's a really, really good player. I don't think he had a great 2021, um, but I think he is uh, as a team captain. He was the eighth best player overall in the nation in high school. Um, he's got some knee issues. Um, some leg injuries, he hurt his knee as a high school senior. He's had some tendonitis there. He tore a patella tendon uh, as a freshman at, at Clemson. But on the field, on tape, I, I just think he's a legitimately really good player. All right, and tell the people again how they can get the draft guide. Uh, so if you go to, you can look at my social, uh, at Cyclancy, uh, at three yards per carry. You can go to at Gridiron or at Read Optional. But you can just type in either Read Optional into... Uh, your search engine or go to readoptional.substack.com forward slash draft guide that's read optional r-e-a-d-o-p-t-i-o-n-a-l dot substack.com forward slash draft guide and of course check our 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 own twitter account at three yards per carry there's gonna be something in there i'm certain uh my fear in this draft is that the jets will grow brain pass on a mod gardener at four and lay in wait at number 10 and take Trent McDuffie. I think this is, he is going to be such a good player in the NFL. Uh, the only concerns that people seem to have on him as far as scouting reports is his length. He has 29 and three quarter inch arms. Uh, I don't I don't know what his wingspan is. I do know his tape. I've watched him play. I just absolutely love the player. He's absolutely fearless. He will come in and stick you. He'll bait throws. He can run. He ran 4-4-4. I absolutely love Trent McDuffie. I think he's a surefire pick, and I I hope that he does not fall to one of our direct competitors, namely the Jets, because yeah. I think he's exactly what they need. Uh, Lance Zerline also loves him. He gives him a, a fabulous NFL comparison. Jair Alexander, uh, yeah. your thoughts? Do you agree with him and your thoughts on Trent McDuffie overall? As a I, I like him a lot. I actually don't think he's the best corner coming out of Washington, I think that's actually Kyler Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think he's a really good player. I think he's a high floor, safe, hugely consistent, really solid guy. You mentioned that he kind of lacks the length, certainly lacks the production of some in the class, but just solid, translatable skill set. He's a hustle player. You know, he plays the run really well. He's got a real nose for, for the run. Uh, he looks, he, he's got experience. Jimmy Lake at the Washington uh DB's coach runs a sort of cover three, man cover three scheme. Quick feet, good body control, um, trails really well. He's just a fun guy to watch, I think. Uh, you know, and 
he's actually the sixth corner on my on my board, which is testament to how good this corner class is. Because you know, he mm. ran a 1082 hundred meters in 2019. He's a film study like maven. He absolutely loves um, studying film. I actually have a comparison to Jair Alexander for another player in this in this draft, not mm-hmm. Trent. But um, but yeah, I I think McDuffie's an excellent player, and I suspect he'll probably go higher than I have him on the board. But just for me, there were just a couple of other players who are just a hair better. In your opinion, he would be overdrafted at number ten to the Jets, or that's just fine? No, I think that, that I, I that's not where I draft him. Okay, I have Booth, Gardner, Stingley, Kyler Gordon, his teammate at Washington, Roger McCreary of Auburn, and then McDuffie. But I, I suspect the NFL has McDuffie higher, and that's absolutely fine. They're the NFL. Mm-hmm. I'm just me. <laughs> but McCreary right. is the guy that reminds me of Alexander. Okay. Actually. Roger McCreary of Auburn. Yeah, yeah. So just size, physicality, ball skills. They just, you know, I, I watched him up close at the um, at the Senior Bowl. His, his hips are ridiculous. He's so smooth as a mover. Um, he's just he's just an alpha. He's battle tested in the SEC. He's tough. He's really instinctive. He's just a really good bump and run press corner. Can play inside or out. Some teams think he's a nickel. I think he plays outside. Uh, he's got really short arms, twenty eight inches or something. Um, they're they're very short, but he is a um, He's a good player. He's a good player. Yeah, like this is a Brandon Burks. You watch him against Mechie. You watch him against Jameson Williams. You watch him against um, the kid from LSU, whose name completely escapes me, but will be a, a high pick next year. Um, you know, he's he's really good. Um, every year, if somebody wants every well, everybody wants an Alabama cornerback. If you've noticed, one has gone in the first round, <coughs> going on four years now. Uh, the Alabama guys this year, do you want them? Uh, are, are those guys that should be highly drafted, should be highly thought of? I am, I'm not a big fan of Armour Davis, Josh Ajobi. I, I think he's one of my favorite players in the draft, actually. If he's okay. one more year, he'd have been a high first rounder. Um, mm. I think you go back and look. He's only a one-year starter. You go and look at him at the start of 2021 and then look at him towards the end of 21. The light comes on midway through the season and towards the back end of the year, I mean, it clicks really quickly. He has got an incredibly intriguing skill set. He'll play outside. He played inside. He plays safety. His ability, and he's raw, but his ability as a technician is way more advanced than guys that will go in the first round. He's patient. He will bait his opponents. He doesn't open up his hips too quickly. He'll transition. He's quick. He's got fluid feet. He uses arms really well. He can mirror backwards. He can mirror laterally. Uh, it's this is high level stuff from a guy. Look, there's things to clean up. Yet his feet get caught under him a little bit when he transitions. He's a little bit high in his back pedal, but these are like really easy to coach. He ran a four three at the combine. He's great in run support. I mean, to me, this is a, a future cornerback one in a press or off man scheme because all the issues I think are eminently coachable. He was the number one corner in the state of Alabama, the number three corner in the in the um, in the nation. He works. Um, with the same footwork coach that Xavier Howard works with. Um, he's nicknamed the kick slide king because his feet are so good. He ran a 10.8700 meters in high school. He reminds me of Darius Slay. He's just a really, he's a high character kid, football junkie. I think he's really good. Josh Job is the other corner who's been around for years at, at, at Bama. Um, you know, he's feisty, he's chippy. Uh, he's been penalized 18 times in the last two seasons, um, which is a massive issue. Mm. Um, but I, I, I quite like him. He reminds me of Dion Bush, the former Bear or the current Bears corner. I think he probably could end up as a nickel safety. Um, I like him, uh, you know, but that he he does have some some issues. 
but yeah, he, he doesn't tackle particularly well. He loves a little late push or an extra shoulder, those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, he's like a mid to late day three guy. Hmm. All right. You liked Trent McDuffie's teammate. Do you like Ahmad Gardner's teammate, Kobe Bryant? Yeah, I, I don't mind him. I don't, I don't dislike him. Um, I think he obviously is the Thorpe Award winner. He's 63 games, started 50. So, you know, you wonder kind of how much better he's going to get. But he's a bit like a, um, I don't watch a lot of basketball, but he's a bit like a point guard. He's got that sort of fast break mm-hmm. mentality to swoop on the ball, good ball skills. He understands routes and landmarks and sit down points in zone. I think he's best suited as a zone corner um, because he just understands the nuance of, uh, of zone defense. Um He's got a high football. He's a coach on the field, high football IQ. Um, he ran a 4 4 at his pro day, but I don't see that speed. He's not really twitchy, but he's good in run support. I think he's sort of solid, unspectacular. I wonder how much better he'll get. Um, but I think in the right scheme, he'll be a decent player with a heavy dose of special teams thrown in. All right. And now we're going to move on to 102 and 125 and what the Dolphins can use there. It stands to reason that Xavier Howard will be here long term. Byron Jones, probably not. Uh, maybe if you read the writing on the wall, maybe one more season here. Nick Needham is a guy that just signed a one-year tender. So that's a guy that they're going to probably want to re-sign. First of all, where do you stand on Noah Igbenogany? And at 102, 125, cornerbacks make, cornerback makes a lot of sense, especially on such a deep, deep class. They've brought a lot of corners in. Um for workouts um i think for noah it's shit or bust obviously um mm. if it's not gonna, i was told by one dolphins front office member that if it's not going to work with satan and madison it's not going to work at all so this mm. is the for him um at 102 for the dolphins i think armor davis if he gets to 102 would be an absolute lockdown um at 102 i think there's a couple of sort of uh, there's a small school kid zion mccollum who I thought played really well at the senior bowl. He runs a 4.33, Sam Houston State kid. I think he is a very, I mean, he's got such, he's got great upside, good football brain. Marcus Jones, the kid at Houston, inside, outside, can play safety, can play wide receiver, played quite a bit of wide receiver last year as well. He's a great return man. The, the, the Dolphins already said they're looking for a return man as well. Um, I think he's probably a slot, but he's just a great playmaker in the return game. Um and there's a couple other guys that they brought in. There's a there's a kid at Washington, Jalen Watson, who the Dolphins brought in, uh, Washington State, sorry, um, who somebody tipped me off about in in Mobile, generating a bit of buzz. He's got some upside. He's got some. Yeah, he's really inexperienced. He signed with USC. Um, he signed with USC. Then he went to Ventura Community College. Was a two time All American. Then re signed back with USC. Never enrolled. So went back home to Georgia and worked at Wendy's for a season before signing mm. with Washington State. Played four games for Wazoo in 2020 and then a full season in 2021. He was a Pac-12, um, first team Pac-12 uh, player of the year. Very physical, big, a 6'2", 197. Uh, I thought he looked really good at the senior bowl. He's raw, but he's patient. He can bait receivers. He can bait corners. He's a really good gunner on special teams. Um He's an interesting guy that I think uh, I think the Dolphins might might look at in that sort of area. All right. And I guess that will conclude all the position players. We're going to talk about specialists and namely one guy, really. Dolphins sign Thomas Morstead. Do you think that that keeps them from going after the punt god, Matt Ariza? 
And do they even have a shot at 102? Because I've seen them mocked earlier than 102. Yeah, I don't think they'll take a punter at 102, given the the, the, the lack of picks they've got. Um, I mean, he's a great punter. I mean, he's the like the Bryson DeChambeau of punting, I think. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> field flipper. For people, who, for people who don't know who Bryson DeChambeau is, very long hitter on the yeah. on the PGA Tour. The golf scientist as well. He like, puts science into all his clubs of the same length and all that sort of yes. stuff. Ariza is essentially the same in a way. He does a lot of technical work on it. So he he has a strange drop. It comes from the opposite hand to his foot. So you see punters holding the ball flat in their right hand, boot with their right hand. Ariza holds in his left and drops, drops to his right. Uh, carries a ball around with the whole time, practicing things. He's actually a really good place kicker as well. Um, but, I mean, he has 18 punts of 60 yards. He has two 80-yarders and one 90-yarder. Um, and when you consider, so of the, the two 80-yarders, you consider there's only been 10 80-plus-yard punts in the NFL since the turn of the century. He had two last year. Um, he averaged 51.2 yards per kick. People say, oh, what about you're out kicking your coverage? But he's really not because what happens is he kicks and then the return man has to, has to back himself up 5, 10, 15 yards to get the ball, which allow the kick coverage team to get down the field to where they would have been to their landmarks if the kick had been kicked by a normal human being. Um, he's just got a foot like a traction engine. It just comes off just boom. He's a, yeah, he's a fantastic punter. Yeah, what do you think he on day two? But I think um, oh, okay. So you got him day two. Uh, he has the talent to go on day two. I don't know that he will. All right, all right. To close this out, we're going to do something a little bit different here. Now we've done it before. One time we actually, well, actually we've hit it like three times. We actually been pretty good at this. Okay, it's very hard to actually pick at one. You know what they're going to have at one or two. So let's just say who will be the Dolphins' first draft pick. In this draft, I will go first. Go on. Man, I've been leaning Rashad White forever. Yeah. But something tells me that James Cook is going to be the guy. He'll be the first running back for them. He'll be their first pick in the NFL draft. I want to say Rashad White, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say that they'll their first draft pick this coming week is going to be James Cook out of Georgia, the running back. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout. I'm going to say one of... I'm going to say one of four players, James Cook, Zach Tom, hmm. Angelo Malone, or Jalen Armour Davis. Those are, I like all, all, all of those players. All those, Zach Tom is, is, is a good shout out as well. Uh, by the way, I think that's who Chris Kaufman thinks will be the pick. He thinks that they have him earmarked and that they might package all their picks just to move up to secure him. All right. Well, that's going to that's gonna do it. All right. That's our draft guide. Enjoy the draft. We will be in Las Vegas. Me and Chris Coffin will be in Las Vegas. Simon did not make the trip, is not going to make the trip, unfortunately. But, you know, why would he? You're just going to go and, and you're going to stare at the, at the screen for, for two days, waiting for them to pick in the, in the third round. Thanks. So, yeah. Try to enjoy people. I know you're going to be sitting around waiting forever. We're going to try to offer you some content this week. Uh, Dolphins don't have too many picks, so don't expect too much content. But be looking for plenty of stuff out on our, on our podcast feeds. See you then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. 
You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.